I wonder, Mr. Kurosawa, if you're aware of how much you must be in, in America with the honors you received at the Japan Society and so on. I'll try to abbreviate my questions. Does, is Mr. Kurosawa aware of how he is revered as a god, a genius, and um, an idol by not only student filmmakers but American film directors? I had heard something about it. <laughs> I wouldn't have blamed him if he just said hi. Um, I am from beyond. Listen, and all you desire will be yours. Welcome to Spider-Man and the Secret Wars. Prepare for battle. Welcome to Prattle World. I am your host, the ever-amazing, ever-spectacular Spider-Dan. And in this podcast, I spotlight entertainment's best-kept secrets that a mainstream audience may find boring. And welcome to the very first episode in Samurai Month. And we are here, myself, and the raging Ronin that is Andy Knowles, Angry Andy Knowles of Angry Andy Reviews. And we are here to talk some samurai stuff. Uh, hardcore, we're going in deep, we're going old, we're going classic, we're going Kurosawa. And we're going to compare Throne of Blood from 1957 against Kurosawa's other film, Ran, from 1985. Welcome back, Andy. Are you looking forward to discussing these two films? Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me on again. Absolute pleasure to be here. As always, I'm very, very pleased that we are talking about like two of the the most well-renowned Kurosawa films. I think this is going to be quite similar to our d- discussion from Western Month. Yeah, when we talked about Django, the original Django, and The Great Silence. Um, yes, what a blast that was as well. What, what an amazing film. I, I, have, I had a, a school friend got back to me after listening to that recently and said, I really want to watch The Great Silence now. And I said, do it immediately. Put your children to bed and get that <laughs> film watched. Turn off Put all the... Put your children to bed. Put your children to bed, turn off all your other media devices and just focus on that wonderful, wonderful Italian Western film. Yeah, I, I, need, I need to purchase a 4K version of that at the nearest opportunity. I, like if I they do like a full-blown collector's edition or something, that'll be an immediate purchase. I think they have released a, a Django recently, yeah. uh, giving away the ending of that episode anyway. Yeah, well, there we go. <laughs> But it's the same, same with these as well. I think uh, with these two films, obviously, we'll, we'll talk about them in great detail. But both of them, I think, at the earliest opportunity, I did check. I, I don't think there are any 4K um, releases for these. But as soon as they do them, which I'm sure they will, maybe through like Arrow or something like that, as soon as they do, I'll be on them immediately jump on those uh, and i would agree these these are two excellent excellent films i know we do have to choose a winner we do have to choose the winner of this clone balls um within samurai month uh but i would highly recommend them to anybody they are 
classics, utter classics, but um, I would... They're both kind of epics as well, yeah. and I think I think Ran you would probably need to do maybe in two sittings. Yeah, that, that's that's more of a, a sprawling epic, similar to like um, some of the old fashioned sword and sandals things, like yeah. Ben Hur and things like that. It's it's sprawling, it's long. It's like Lawrence of Arabia of samurai yeah. movies. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I would agree, and I think. I, I did have to. I, I think I did three sittings in total. I think I've, I've been a bit distracted this week and stuff. I've got a lot of stuff yeah. going on. Um, but yeah. I, I, I paused it after the the hour mark, about an hour and ten. And we we would talk about that specific point, I'm sure. And I paused it then because I was like, "This is yeah, this is heavy already," and yeah. I, I don't oh, think I prepared myself for it. Um, it is, these these are very bleak films, both of them. I think um, probably Ran more so than Throne of Blood. Um, yeah, definitely. So the, I'm going to go over the reasons for comparison, as I always do. So both films are directed by Akira Kurosawa, who's very famous for his samurai films, including Yojimbo, Seven Samurai, and several others. Um, these are both set in feudal, feudal Japan around the time of the samurai. Um, both are loose, loose. I do say loose because they're not exactly... They're not. It's very strict in the adaptation of these Shakespeare tragedies, um, for better or for worse, however you view that. Um, and both films were made for Toho Studios, um, same studio that made Godzilla. Now, like we said, the, there are there is quite a lot of time between these two films. Yeah, so it's a good thirty years, isn't it? Thirty years, and we are going to try and try and judge them as they are and and against each other. But you do have to remember that Ron is in color. Ron had a higher budget, a much larger budget than Throne yeah. of Blood, and and also like the amount of time that's passed, he's learned to be a better director. He's got more experienced over time, um, and and he's gone through some really horrible things, some really tough will, times in the build up to Ron as well. We will certainly get into that, no doubt. Um, but yeah, um, so they are they are loose adaptations. So there's certain characters and plot points and arcs that have the characters either removed um, or transformed or reframed. Often the gender of the character can change, um, and the storylines may be excised or included. Depends. Um, so if you're looking for a straight adaptation of Macbeth, which Throne of Blood is based on, or Ran, which is uh, based on King Lear. Um, these probably aren't the f- are not the films for you. I would go and seek out more kind of more kind of stricter and more authentic representations of Shakespeare yeah. and and what have you. However, they are. I still think they are very good at adaptations of yeah. those said said plays. I, I I agree. I think they do they do take a lot of liberties with the with the source material. Uh like you said, there's there's a lot of things that are cut out or removed or altered altogether. Um but they're not done in sort of like a malicious way. They are done basically for the good of the film and you can yeah, it's tell definitely that, not it's definitely not to the detriment yeah, of the film. They're still, yeah, you, still can, like you can it. tell that you can tell that Kurosawa is, is so influenced and it loves, you know both of them, you know, Macbeth and King Lear. I mean, Ron, he says that he didn't realise the the connection between um, the real-life character that he was basically filming and created and King Lear until he basically started filming. But then he sort of, like, you know, infused as much as he could from King Lear just to add it and give that extra flavour. So you can tell there's a lot of love and, you know, appreciation of Shakespeare's material and whatever. So it's not like, oh, it's a terrible adaptation, don't watch it. Um 
like spoiler alert, I actually think um, Throne of Blood is the best Macbeth adaptation I've ever seen. I've yeah, seen a lot. Go. And I've been in Macbeth as well. I was gonna say, I was gonna say, like I was gonna say we both we've both starred in in Macbeth. We've both done show, shows to when high school. we were actors. When we were actors, uh, you know, we both performed in front of children when they were studying yeah. Macbeth, um, yeah. you know, to help them with their studies. Um did you what what characters did you play? I played Oh god! Um, I, I played that many. I can't even remember. But like, I played I played Banquo and things like that. And yeah, I was uh, I was Banquo, I was Banquo and McDuff. Yeah. doing all like the all the blood and gore and you know, mm. you get a lot of appreciation for that material. It, it's overdone to hell. That's, oh, that's yeah. the thing with Macbeth. It's it's so overdone, but it fits. And that's one thing as well to like discuss with is that the the feudal Japan aesthetic really does fit very well with the medieval Scotland and you know medieval England as well. It's, mm. it's amazing how well it transposes across, but we're getting ahead of ourselves there. Isn't it? Absolutely. So I think let's let's get started and let's talk about Throne of Blood from 1957. Do you want to do you want to give us kind of a, a we probably I know people are familiar yeah. with Macbeth, but do you want to yeah. kind of give us kind of just a rough plot of this version of Macbeth? Yeah, I mean, I mean, the plot's not really that much different from Macbeth. Really, it tells the story of a, a warrior who, you know, assassinates his his king and uh, basically all the urges of his of an ambitious wife and you know the fear and sort of worry that the warrior starts to develop, you know, throughout the course of the film based on what he's done and his own ambitions. I mean, I think I think this one is more straightforwardly Macbeth in terms of the way it's written, the way the way it's performed, even like the scene to scenes, you can actually go, oh yeah, that, that was in Macbeth, that was Macbeth. So in terms of the plot, I don't think there's that much different, if you like. It's hard, it's hard, it's hard for me to actually <laughs> sort of explain it really. Yeah. I didn't just view it as like, ah, oh, it's Macbeth with a few things yeah. missing. <laughs> I, I, I agree. I think it's more, um, there's more liberties taken with Ron and the yeah. story there. Again, I'm not as familiar with Leah, but I did look up Leah and kind of investigated a bit more and read about Leah and kind of got a, a kind of a brief overview of it if, yeah. as, as much as I could understand. Um, but it's not one I've performed. It's not one I've studied. It's no. I, I don't think it's one I've read. I might have started it, but I don't think I finished it. But yeah, this is a lot more kind of straightforward. You have the the lower lower class samurai warrior in uh, Washizu, yeah. Uh, played by Toshiro Mifune, who's obviously huge, huge Japanese actor, you know, again, very famous for being in Akira Kurosawa samurai films. Um, he is, you know, it starts off with the battle and they looks the the Lord, um, I think it's Lord Watashi, I think. Um, he is kind of commanding his army. No, sorry, Suzuki, Lord Suzuki. Yeah. Um, he, up then, yeah. yeah, he. <laughs> there's a lot, there's going to be a lot of Japanese names that we're going to mispronounce. I'm no doubt yeah, in this yeah. podcast. Apologies in advance. <laughs> Apologies in advance, but we'll try our best. Um, so he's watching. He's commanding. He's he's on the lo- he's on the losing side initially. Yeah, yeah. But then um, that word comes through. We we don't see the battle because again, this is limited by budget. We also don't see the Spider's Castle, which the the film is named after. The Japanese title is The Spider's Castle. We don't see it because there was a limit with the budget. But um, and again, we don't see a lot of the battles. Um, but again, you don't need to. Like you know, in the Macbeth, you didn't see those battles when you saw the second. No, yeah, they were they were always talked about in sort of retrospect, or you know, the battle was taking place while the characters were 
uh, frolicking and or you know battling each other inside away from it that's that's the whole point of the story it's the internal you know minute conflict between the characters as opposed to oh there's a war outside yeah the, the uh, struggle that in- yeah we're all involved <laughs> exactly it's literally, it's, literally, uh, it's literally a political political thriller set against the backdrop of a war except the political thriller is one man goes insane with power as does his wife and they manipulate each other and there are there are very similar themes in ran as well like the ambition the power the loss of power um mm. you know that the the kind of greed of siblings the greed yeah and all that sort of, and and trying to get more and more and more and then the inherent tragedy in that uh, that comes by the end um but yeah so we see that we see him in uh, miki which is his banquo in in the film um his best mate they um they're on their way to meet because uh suzuki asks him to come and meet them uh and he's gonna and they they're on the way they get lost in the spider's forest which is this uh fog covered the the use of fog in this film is brilliant the oh yeah i mean this- it sets an, an ambience like nothing else I mean, it, it it invokes a lot of like the old you know the old classics of horror stories and horror films you know just the deep decadent sort of forest woodland and you've got this wispy wispy mist and fog just like surrounding them it's brilliantly done brilliantly done oh it's gorgeous and and that's one of the things you'll see in a lot of Kurosawa, Akira Kurosawa films is his use of the weather and how gradually the weather gets worse and worse as yeah. you know as the story goes on and as the as the story deteriorates and gets you know the character's struggle gets worse and then you know ends quite poorly that's that's how it goes um but yeah it's the cinematography in both films is gorgeous like probably some of the most beautiful films i've ever seen especially ron um is is just a beautiful sight to behold you know um even without any dialogue you know it's just just seeing the shots alone mm. is, is beautiful but yeah instead of instead of three witches we get an evil spirit um absolutely terrifying oh it was horrible it was- I, I i was uh, i was surprised by how sort of like weirded out i was because i mean the makeup's the makeup's not great and but the makeup serves a bit of a purpose really it's very it's done very very specifically so it's all based around um uh no theater which is basically like one of the fundamental theater practices in like japanese uh theatrics basically it's all all based on like performance and use of makeup to create um emotional states um for its audience and basically this this character this spirit is quintessentially that it doesn't it doesn't do much it doesn't move or anything but it's that it's that really really pale i mean obviously this is black and white but it the makeup is so pale the hair is like deathly white and he kind of seems a little bit illuminated because of what he's wearing as well and yet he's in this really tiny horrible hut spinning a bloody yarn on a, on a wheel mm. I was like, oh, I, I don't like it. It, just, it reminded me a lot of like, obviously modern Japanese horror and thing is all like, you know, long dark hair and, you know, pale faces. And again, it's, that's kind of an offshoot of uh, no theater as well. It's like, you yeah. know, saying everything with makeup and, you know, quick thrusting movements and, you know, letting that be it. And he here is just like, he does, all he does is just repetitively spin that wheel and it's really unsettling and it's it's really really good it's such a brilliant 
alternate way to showcase the, the power of you know, the spirits mm. in Macbeth. You know, just limiting it to one individual who doesn't really take them on, doesn't look at them, doesn't do anything apart from just tell them what is going on. It's so unsettling. It's great. Oh, it's great. I love the 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 vocal effects as well. Uh, is really yeah. good. This booming, this tiny withered kind of old person, but this booming, echoing voice throughout the forest. Yeah. And I, I love the, the weaving of the tapestry because it kind of reminds you, like, you know, like Greek mythology, they have the, yeah, yeah. the three fates. They're, they're constantly... Yeah, the- Weaving the weaving his his, his journey, as his, he's his future, it. yeah, his future, yeah. And, and telling the future, and that's kind of I feel like that's kind of all mixed in with the kind of medieval elements and the uh, the Shakespearean elements with the Japanese elements, um, and it all works so well. I love the moment where they they kind of go and they rush they rush the the, the evil. Yeah, he, he stands up, doesn't he? He stands yeah. up, and then he kind of just. He disappears, yeah. and they think that he's got he's gone through like a trap door behind the yeah. hut, and then they cut down the hut, and there's nothing there. Yeah, they cut they cut down one wall, don't they? And he's, he, go, he go they go through it, and as they're looking around in the, in the like in the little bit of woods, the camera sort of pans back, and the entire rest of the hut structure's gone. Hmm. So it's like really, really it's so clever, just so simple. It's the perfect ghost thing because obviously they haven't cut the scene. They've gone through it, and obviously people have come in and lifted the set out. Yeah. while the camera's gone through and it's brilliant it just creates that you know it just evokes that you know true horror aspect and again the performance from um uh, uh and um oh god i'm butchering the names um they're just they're just brilliant they're so perfect they're they're, they're that the classic very you know stoic physicality yeah. like, the art the armor makes their arms you know point in certain ways there's a lot of like ang- angular movements which again is very much no theater because they are Whenever they move, they move with precision, accuracy, and speed. And their facial expressions, again, it's just like, you know, all, all the expression, everything they're feeling and, and, you know, experiencing is in their face. So in this scene, when they're so confused and they're, they're demanding answers, you know, obviously with the Japanese language as well, it's just it's so powerful. It's really, really powerful. Oh. For me, that I think that's like the, the thing for both of these films. The performances and the style of performance the makeup and coloring even in even in this black and white film you can tell there is a coloring to it because you get those gradients in the black and white mm. it's brilliant brilliant so 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 good i couldn't i couldn't agree more with what you've just said you've you've hit the nail on the head absolutely spot on um the the performances the the theatric i love the theatricality of these films yes they're so theatrical it is like watching a stage play and it and it, and you know some people might view this and see it as kind of over the top but it it works within the setting within the drama within the the yeah. mise en scene to get a bit wanky um you know <laughs> it's well, that's what we're talking about though isn't it i mean yeah. literally i mean I'm talking about no theatre, like you know, like I'm, I'm spewing it out every every other second. But it's there, it's right there, and you can't you you can't ignore it. You can't say, oh, they're just what they're doing. It's it, they're all really you know over exaggerated. But that, that's it. That's the style of filmmaking. That's the style of characterization. It, they don't do it so much in in Ran. There's only two actors that you know perform with the style of no theatre. But in this one, it's it's there. It's all there. Even even the wife, the wife in this, you know, Lady Macbeth, as it is. Hmm. Um, um, Stargy. She's just, you know, she's very still, very measured. But then when she wants something, it's bam, she's up and she goes and does it. Brilliant. That sells the, the story as, as much as any dialogue does. 
I agree. I, I think the physicality is very important. The facial expressions, like you said, they express everything uh, through their facial features. And like you said, it's got intent. It's measured. It's controlled. It's, it's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's it's great. It's so so good. And and you don't. I, I will say this about this one. It is much more focused in the kind of the main characters. Mostly, it's about Suzuki Miki. Um, you know, uh, Washitsu, um, yeah, you know, all those are the main characters. There's not a lot of subplots, there's not a lot of side characters going on. Which, yeah, I think the, the cast is like, um, like the main speaking cast is like 10 or 12 people, yeah, so it's a very, very, very small cast. But, uh, but I think, I think that kind of strengthens the core aspects of the film, the core storytelling, um, where I think I think Ran has a lot more going on. There's a lot of kind of subplots and stuff. And again, they're they're great, but there is there is like, oh, we're over with these guys and we're over there's there's a lot of with <laughs> Ran has has that thing where there's so many characters in you're like, wait, wasn't they weren't they who that was and that where yeah. are we yeah. who is that guy this guy again? They've changed clothes and now they're this or yeah. What, if, what you, if, you, if you switch if you switch off ever so slightly with Ran, you you lose you lost. Yeah, you lose it a little bit. Yeah, that's why I would recommend two sittings for Ron yeah. at the very least, if not more. Um, but it, again, still excellent, still very good. But I think I think I because because of my familiarity with Macbeth and the core, you know, aspects mm-hmm. of the play, I think there's a bit more of a, a through line. There's a bit more of a, a concentrated through line to this one. Yeah, um, which to which is to its benefit. Um, and and again. I love the performance of uh, Asagi. I, I don't know the actress's name off the top of my head. Isizu uh, uh, Yamada. She is probably my favourite Lady Macbeth I've ever seen. Yeah. Again, really, really unsettling. But it's it's so like obviously historically accurate to the portrayal of like a Japanese a Japanese woman, mm. um, you know, the wife of a you know a warrior, a samurai warrior. It's very, very still, very, very calm. She almost seems very minute as well mm. until she gets up. I, I just love it. The first time you see her stand up is when he's, it, it's the scene when Macbeth is questioning everything that he's about to do and what he's been told. And she gets up and she's like, no, you will do this. You will do it. You will do it. And I will help you do it. And that's the first time you see her. So like, yeah. yeah. No, like, like you were saying about the evil spirit, like the only move when it's required like they hold yeah. that, they hold that strength, they hold that power. But then, mm-hmm. when when they when they are going to do something, they are going to do it. They are yeah. re- resolute in what they are going to do. Whether that is to kill Lord Suzuki, whether is that is to you know disappear, what have you. Yeah, that, that all the characters have that within within Throne mm-hmm. of Blood, um, and that and that makes it that much kind of stronger for it. Um, yeah. Part of me does wish we got a bit more with Miki, with, with the Banquo character. Yeah, because it happens a bit too soon. I mm. think, again, um, I think I, I missed it. I think I was writing some, I was writing a note down about it, and I looked up and I was like, what's happened? Okay. <laughs> I was like, is he gone? Yeah. I, I, com- I completely missed it. I completely missed yeah. it. Because you have you have the discussion with his son. Um, yeah. in, in the play, the son is much younger, but in this, he's kind of like a... Early, late teens, early twenties, kind of. Guy. Yeah, he's, he's on the cusp of becoming a warrior himself, isn't he? Yeah, and uh, they're discussing with it, and and obviously, uh, Washitsu knows from the prediction that that Miki's son will take his place as the new uh, lord. 
Um, and so he goes, well, you can be my heir because I've not had any children. And then Asaji gets pregnant. So then he questions that. Yeah. Um, and and then they're trying to leave. Um, uh, Miki and his son are trying to leave because he's like, right, we've got to, you know, we shouldn't really be here. And the horse is going mental. A horse yeah, is running yeah. around. It's like, it's almost like the horse senses the evil or the, the yeah. presence of evil and is like, nah, this is not for me, mate. Uh, just running around. Yeah. And I, nah. I, love, I love all the guys trying to like calm it down and stuff. Um, yeah, there's loads of them. They're like, just, just grab the reins. Grab, that, sake, grab the reins of that horse. Yeah. But I, I quite like the kind of the, the the smaller side characters in it, like the ones that are discussing the madness and the the darkness yeah. that's approaching and things. Yeah, and the, the ones that are basically sat in the peripheries, but you, they can they can see and sense things just as much as anyone. Yeah, they can. It's all obvious. It's all very obvious from from the get go. What's happened? What's occurring? Yeah. The scene where. This, I think it's later in the film where they're like, well, things are going to shit, but what we're going to do is go follow our Lord. You know? Yeah. If they're under their Lord, they're going to follow him to, to the death. You know, Because if they don't, obviously, they just betray their honour entirely. So it, you do get that weird sort of like thing where the, these these poor guys, they take a lot of the weight off the dialogue from the main characters. So, so the main characters aren't saying anything that they don't really need to say. And it basically puts the audience in with with these characters, when the characters are sat there going, so th- this is really, this is really bad, isn't it? What, do we do anything? Oh, no, we can't really, can we? Oh, okay. Um, oh, well, we'll be dead soon. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, can't, can't do much about it. Yeah, they're kind of just consigned to their fate. Um, yeah. And it's, it's it's fascinating to see that kind of play out. And, like, they know that nothing good is going to come of any of this. Yeah. You know, our Lord has gone mad. He's evil. You know, what will occur? And and I like that kind of... I like when I like when characters speak what the audience is thinking. Yeah. I, I always enjoy that. Like, I like in The Disaster Artist where Seth Rogen is going, like, you know, why has this woman got cancer and now it's never and it's never referenced again? Yeah. Or, you know, has he ever had a sex scene before? Because he looks like he's making love to a belly button. You know, all those all those kind of things that just make me laugh out loud. Yeah. Um, there's the difference between there's a difference between exposition, which I I hate in films. I really hate it when they're just laying out plot lines just to try and explain what's going on. The difference between that and characters expressing their own fears based on the situation, I think that works better. It's always a good marker on a film or a script where basically the characters are questioning, you know, their own beliefs and sanity, you know, around the situation. That's that's more interesting to me than going, ah, well, if we're like, oh, Godzilla versus Kong recently, it's just laden with pointless dialogue, which is basically just saying, if we do this, we can unlock this. And when that's unlocked, then Kong will be able to access the throne of uh, Fuck City. And uh, <laughs> basically, he'll be able to enjoy Godzilla. And Godzilla will, you know, oh, God, there's something else coming. Oh, well, we'll press that button and everything. It's rubbish. It's garbage. It's, mm. With this, you actually, you're going, oh, I wonder what these, you you, you feel invested with the side characters, yeah. even though they, they only say one line or two lines, you go, oh, there's a deeper feeling, there's a deeper meaning here because these characters are struggling. Hmm. I, I, I agree. And like, and, and you, you, you're, they are the audience as well because they, yeah. they're seeing, they're seeing yeah, the whole yeah, thing unfold. Exactly. Just like they're you. the audience, you're almost sat there with them because you go, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he is acting a bit stupid, isn't he? God. How, how is nobody doing anything about this? But then it goes into like, well, it's it's 
historically like I'm, what, there's, a, there's a show on Netflix in a minute which is talking about the age of samurais and basically there's a similar thing where one of the lords one of the warlords you know is executing women children and old people and his lords can't do anything because mm. they're bound by honor they don't like it but they they can't do anything and that's a, it's a documentary so it's, it's you know obviously a Netflix documentary is a bit windy and things but it's that it's that idea is that they they obviously they obviously don't agree with it but they're they're bound by the honor, the blood, the blood oaths they swear. See, and that, yeah. you know that it, it's 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 the way they lived. So yeah. that, that's that's just society. I, I think it's um, the Bushido, the code of Bushido. I think or Bushido code. Yeah, that they, yeah. they live Something by. Like that, yeah. um, I, I don't know the specifics of it, but I know it's kind of yeah. Like you said, there's an honor system that they have to follow, um, and and if not, they usually kind of take their own life, which we do see in in Ran especially. We see a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I love the. I, I, like you said, I was a bit. I was a bit gutted we didn't see more from Miki. But also, I was a bit gutted we didn't see the death of Miki again in the play. You, yeah, that's you, what that's what I meant by when I missed it. I was like, oh god, it's happened. And I thought I thought I'd actually missed the scene where he gets killed. But I was like, oh, oh, it just it happened away. Mm. Which is why when I looked up. I was like, oh god, the film. Yeah. Have I missed like half an hour? <laughs> yeah. I, I really could have. Do, again, in the in the play, it's not scripted. I I did a version where. Me and I'm I, as Banquo. Uh, we're we're riding. We've we've just come off a ride with my son, and we're both got mo- motorcycle helmets, and we're both yeah. getting murdered. And then when I turn up in the following scene, in the um, this is when I was working with Ribcage Productions in Clitheroe, um, and we I had to I had to source a, a motorcycle helmet, like a damaged one, and then we and then we damaged it more. So when I turned up, it looks like I'm a I'm a victim of a really nasty like. A motorcycle accident so oh, right. I'm, I'm i'm sat there in the feast i've got the the audience is seeing me in a motorcycle helmet and then when i get up and turn, and, around. And turn there's half of it missing with me just bleeding uh and you, with my exposed face like the helmet has been broken and come off um i didn't luckily i don't have to pay for that helmet um <laughs> I, I, I literally called around all the motorcycle shops in Manchester and people were like, why do you want a broken helmet for? And I'm like, I'm doing a play. And they're like, legally, we can't have those on, on the premises. You know, are you trying to catch us out? And I'm like, no, I just I just want it for a play, man. Just, just give me one if you've got one. Or if one that you can't sell, just give it to me. <laughs> and I, I, the last shop I found, I managed to I managed to do it. And I was like, do you want, do you want any money for it? And they're like, no, just have it. And, you know, I was like... Yeah. Excellent. So yeah, that was a really, really cool yeah. moment in that version of Macbeth I did. Yeah, I think I think a lot I think a lot of modern versions now, especially the film adaptations, or they do tend to show him being murdered to kind of give it a bit more credence. Hmm. So that you're not just going, oh well, he's dead. Oh, I don't really care. They try and show sort of like Fleons fleeing essentially and showing the brutality of it. It's it's one of them. Uh, I, I, I feel like sometimes you don't need to see it, and then sometimes you do. I think it's depending on the film. I think with this, it probably it probably would have been good to actually see it, mm. purely because you you know the armor, the use of weapons. I think it would have been good to show, you know, his qualities, if you like, to quote Captain Faramir from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> what a weird reference I just did. What where did that come from? But yeah, just to show like the level of warrior skill and that you know. That, that maybe that level of betrayal as well, just to see a bit of like, oh, this is my lord, this is, you know, this is my counterpart. What was he doing? You know, I think he would have benefited it slightly if we'd just seen like some of the betrayal of the honor going forward. 
Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Still, however, the the feast banquet is still very effective. Brilliant. Um, you know, we have this uh, traditional dance that this guy's doing, but all the while <laughs> he loses his shit. Stop dancing. <laughs> and all the while the guy's like, "Oh, okay." Because everyone's like, everyone's like, "Where's Miki? Where's Miki?" It's very disrespectful yeah, that he's yeah. here, and he's and he's constantly looking at that that you know. Yeah, there's, it, there's those there's those two missing spaces in there, and all the other lords and the retinue. They're all sat around in you know the very, the you know the traditional, uh, traditional way. They're all sat on those in those cushions, kneeling down, and they, he's just there. I, I love the costumes because it makes him look. It makes a uh, uh, Mifune look uh, Tashiro Mifune look so. So muscular and huge. Mm. It's just brilliant. He's just sat there and he's, he's raging as well because he's worried that he's going to turn up. And all the other laws are like, well, where, where the fuck is he? What's he doing? Yeah, it's almost like, it's almost like I, I kind of think he's partly play acting that he's like, yeah. I've got to look mad because he's not here, even though yeah. I've or- ordered him to be murdered. Mm. And then that's, and that leads to him being even more shocked when the ghost appears of, yeah. of Miki. Um, and I love that, um, um, oh God, what's her name again? Lady Macbeth, what's her name? Uh, uh, Saji. Um, where she's like, oh, he's drunk. He's drunk. Yeah. I, what I love as well is the fact that they, when they're drinking the, I guess it's sake, I guess, um, yeah. in, the, in the little, the tiny little bowls. I love when they they have to, they kind of stick their whole arm out, um, mm. and then bring it round to to drink it. I love, I love that. I love that. Yeah. Phys- the, the little details, the little details in these films are fucking brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Just a little. I mean, again, you'd expect it, really. You'd expect it. Um, but it just it adds that little like, extra bit of depth and quality, you know. When you see them, like, oh, they're, they're still trying to do things in the proper manner while their lord is completely losing his shit. Mm. It's, it, it adds that little bit of extra flavor to it. It's like, oh, he's drunk, he's drunk, he's drunk. He's, <laughs> and they're know, like, mm, okay. and he's like, yeah, he's like, yes, I am very drunk, and you should be drunk too. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and he and then he freaks out again, and she, and then they're all like that. That's kind of the first kind of real indication that something is very very wrong with him, or that something because there's been whispers and rumors, which is kind of part of the play. Yeah. Um, but nothing's really confirmed. But then he starts kind of losing it, and they're like, "Fuck!" And and again, we see we see a lot of that in Ran as well. Like, fucking hell, he's mental. This scene, this scene is is the the key scene for going back to like the expressionistic acting and like the. The, like the really like powerful, he runs runs to that runs to that spot, slams his feet. You know his face is all like the facial expressions are amazing in the in this scene in the banquet scene. They're amazing because he's he's constantly throwing himself around this space, and because obviously the wooden flooring everything the set is perfect. Every time he's he's moving, you can you can hear like a thunderous sort of sound every time he he steps, and it it just adds something else to the entire scene. It's it's so brilliant, just the the level of performance again. I keep gushing about the performance, but I think the performance sold the film for me really. Yeah, I think I think um, all all the all the actors that are have speaking roles absolutely sell every moment. They, there is not there is not a stone left unturned in any of these performances. Um, and you know she's when she's washing her hands and stuff. Um, I, I love the fact that within the within the style of dress, 
that you can hear a Saji the 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 fabric kind of shifting like when yeah. sh- when they shuffle a lot they, again in Ran it's a similar thing you can hear them slightly kind of on the floor you can hear them move um, and that's almost even that even that's kind of an un- un- you know it's uh, yeah. I think we I think we we talked about it, didn't we? Um, based on like, the use of like music, um, there are some moments when the music is so powerful and it's really there, and then there's other times when it's just deadly silent. There's nothing. There's no. There's no. There's no. There's no music. There's sometimes not even any dialogue, and it just uses, you know, the sound of like the movement or you know, sound of the forest and things like that, the weather, mm. just to give you that extra sort of ambient feeling of dread of you know paranoia mm. especially tension, in this tension a lot of tension a lot yeah. of tension throughout um i yeah i think i think she was great and I, and again like that that kind of just that just some of those yeah. it, it, there's a lot of kind of soundscape elements uh, that i describe as kind of soundscape elements that because the the music is very intermittent um in yeah, uh, in, yeah. Bo- in both films um, it comes and goes. Long periods of intermittent as well. Yeah, and and that's probably my only my only criticism, especially in Ran, is because the films are so long and there's these great, massive, beautiful opening shots and you know of of the the forest and the greenery and you know and the, of the castle in this one as well and the fog. You know, it's great, but I think sometimes I'm a bit like, for me, when I'm not hearing music in a film. Um, I, I feel that it, it it starts to drag for me. There starts to be a bit of like, I, I was like, I need a little, just a little something to keep me going. Um, yeah. And and it, and again, that's that's a choice he made. Um, and again, it's kind of my only criticism of the of the work is that sometimes I could <clears throat> just 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 some more kind of you know more undercurrent music or or something. Um, like I noticed this when I watched the when I compared with with Dennis the two Dracula movies because. Back in the day, they would play live music to the film. Yeah. So when you when you watch the original version, there is no music. And again, I felt it then because I was like, yeah. there is no, there is no, nothing to kind of push you along or guide you through the journey. Yeah. Um, and I think when music is not used in film, it's very noticeable. Like you you notice the absence of music um, mm. for whatever reason. Like if it's a choice, fair enough, I get it. But you will for long stretches, you will notice it, and you're like. Okay, yeah. come on. If there's not dialogue or like snappy dialogue going on or, or mm. action, and and again, the shots in these films are beautiful, but there are moments where I'm like, okay, come on. Yeah. But but again, I think that's because of our in, through our modern lens, we've been spoiled with stuff being like yeah. action heavy and things are always going on, and you know the camera's moving every which way. There's always something to grab your attention. I think that's just the computer age, the digital age, and and. Yeah. The world we live in now, um, in comparison to the, the films that we're making back yeah. then, and the style I mean, of filmmaking. Yeah, I mean, I mean, for me, I, I can appreciate that. For me, I think it is very much scene dependent. I can, I can live without music so long as the tension's being created effectively. Hmm. Um, and with these films, you know, there's, there's a few moments in Ran where I'm like, uh, okay, yeah, know, it's, it's a bit too much. But in this one, I think. In, in Throne of Blood, I think like, the lack of music, especially in the banquet scene, mm. I think you, do, you don't need it. I, no. I don't think you need it purely because everything you need is being created by every other factor. 
in 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 the sequence you know the the, the use of language like the the performances the set you know yeah, the general sound like you said the shuffling and every, everything you know and the way that it ramps up you know that that fear that paranoia and even like just the the randomness of the, the way the ghost looks and things like that i think it creates everything you need there and other than maybe like you know a couple of like maybe like a whistling you know some mm. whistling flutes like dead you know just dead quick dead sharp which you do get in this you get like you know kind mm. of thing every so often but yeah it's it's for me it's always scene dependent there's there's a lot of movies i think that do just put too much music in because they know it's not the film's not doing anything on its own benefit so i think it's 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 a thing you you have to weigh really some films have music in right the way through like really like over the top you know almost bloody dubstep crap you know just to try and give it something give it some life it's it's one of those it's one of those things you have to sort of like i think you you, you look at it from each film's perspective i think um it reminds me um i did a i did a podcast on and now the podcast starts which is a, a great little horror podcast um and we looked at like halloween five and there's these two bumbling cops which are supposedly meant to be quite funny in the film um and like a bit stupid yeah the dialogue is not that snappy or funny it's just like like we're, we're cops and we do our job and we'll t- <laughs> yeah. we'll take you know cats out of trees and shit like that but what they did which they didn't know at the time the actors or you know you know i think the director maybe didn't know about this either yeah. they put like a clown score music like oh, under underneath them and it's again it's like and every time they turn up that same it's like their theme but again, like the the following, like Vulcan scene. Skull from Power Rangers. Yes, exactly the same, exactly oh, the same. Which I always fucking hated. I remember hating it when I was a kid. Yeah. Like you got Power Rangers, which got that <laughs> a, re- a really great, you know, the electronic fucking guitar and all this, you know, like really electronic music, and you get and you're like, oh fuck off. Yeah. And every time they walk in, it, it, like, it crucifies. Hey, it crucifies anything. It's like, oh no. <laughs> It, again, it's not all the way through. It's very, like you say, the tension in certain aspects and certain scenes mm. is not there. But I think, like the ones we're talking about, we'll talk about the the, the ending as well very shortly um, of the film. But th- within the within the banquet and within the you know within the forest with the evil spirit, like the the lack of music, like you said, hundred percent is earned and and works. Yeah. But again, on the odd occasion throughout, there will be a moment where I'm like. Okay, we've switched, especially in Ron, where you switch characters. You're not entirely sure what the context is just yet. You know. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I agree. There, some like some of the major like uh, location changes could have done with like just a little hint of oh, something's changed. Yeah. We've changed here. Yeah. Little... We've we've changed the scene. We've changed the characters. We've changed something. Changed you know, even yeah. even a even a small theme. Not you know not nothing like as clownish as the other stuff, but just a little something to kind of indicate indicate the passage of time or to indicate mm. something else. Because you know, Ron has a lot of beautiful lush green fields, but. <laughs> I don't know which. A lot which, of fucking red as well. <laughs> a lot of fucking, a lot of fucking red. Um, but I don't know what particular field that is, and which particular characters are in that field. Um, yeah. You know, you need something to kind of carry me with the story, and I, I just mm. don't think it's there on certain. Again, 
Akira Kurosawa is a master filmmaker, and these like I'd never, I've actually never seen any Akira Kurosawa films before I watch these two. Um, not and now, Seven Samurai. Not even seen Seven Samurai. Oh, what the fuck? I know, I know, bad in it, bad. Oh, Jesus. But but this is this has made me go. You know what? I need to fully invest in Akira Kurosawa, and I'm glad. Um, you know, and yeah. It's, it's fantastic. But again, it's that is the only criticism I will put forward for either of these yeah. films. Um, that no, I think, is, that I think is it's it. legitimate. I think it's legitimate. Yeah. Um, so let's let's talk about the ending of the film, the very climactic ending, and again, one that doesn't need music. Um, so the so Washizu visits the evil spirit again and is confronted by three other kind of dead samurai soldiers. Um, and they say that the only way that uh, Washizu will ever be defeated and will, will lose the lordship of his castle um, will be if the forest moves towards the castle, if it yeah. comes forward, much like... The, the, cl- the classic twisting state of the play. Yeah, because you're like, forests don't move. What a ridiculous yeah, time. The forest of... Uh, oh, what's it called? Oh, no. Uh, Dunsinane, is it? Dunsinane, yeah, that's the one. Yeah. The forest like, can't move, you... Fucking idiot! <laughs> <laughs> I'm invincible. Um, you, I will say this: like, I don't want to go too much into the kind of differences between Lear or Macbeth or anything. But one of the main differences here is they don't they don't have a Macduff, and they don't they don't have that aspect. Uh, well, uh, uh, Takashi Shimura plays um, Noriyasu, who's kind of Macduff, but it's again, it's just it's it's not really yeah, it's not really it's, Macduff. But it's, really it's like in, in respect to what I think of Macduff, like yeah, he's, oh yeah, he's yeah, he, There's the there's the prediction that only no no woman no man born of woman yeah, yeah you, uh, you don't get that you don't get that yeah, that's just that's completely excised the final battle with Macduff is excised as well but yeah. the sequence the final sequence is utterly incredible um, yeah. and it is I think in some ways it's probably better. Um, yeah, because it's literally, it's literally he he loses. It showcases that he loses everything basically. So Asagi has just learned that she's obviously the child is it's going to be stillborn. Yeah. Um. So basically, he he goes further down the, down the spiral, if you like, as she falls into madness and she's there cleaning her hands, trying to get rid of everything. Loads of troops arrive, don't they? And basically, he he tries to muster his own troops to help him. And they all completely ignore his order. So basically, this is where the point where they've 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 mutinied. They've accepted that their lord has gone beyond any form of redemption or or sanity. And yeah, they just ignore him completely. And it's really great because you get that you get that wonderful shot where he's he's on like a higher a higher level and he's, he's shouting commands and they're all just stood there completely ignoring him. It's really really great. But it's very, very disconcerting as well because they're not responding, they're not moving. Yeah. They're just, they're just like the like the ghosts we were talking about earlier, the spirits. Yeah. They're just, they're just looking at him and just like, nah, mate, not, not gonna happen. Um, and and he's stomping and he's he's being brash, he's being aggressive. He's like, you yeah. do this, you you deserve me. I am your, I am your yeah. lord and master. You do what I say. Um, and then they just yeah. turn around, turn around. <laughs> one arrow just flings right next to his head and you go oh shit and then in the, like in less than oh, two or three seconds there's just hundreds of arrows being fired at him and i i I've, I've not seen this film uh i thought i had seen it but i think i got confused with another 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 film similar to it or maybe another 
uh, Kurosawa film, but this ending, I was I was in shock. I was like, I, I couldn't I couldn't believe like how they done it, how they filmed it, just to just to just how they filmed it, not necessarily the actual end itself, but like they actually filmed this. How did they do it? Like, well, it's so effective, just arrows piercing planks of wood next to him. He's getting shot, mm. and the, all these arrows they look they look real. And they fucking so, are real. <laughs> so yeah, I looked this up as well. So so there's a there's a little if you if you Google Throne of Blood on um, YouTube, there's a little clip of a, a guy who's interviewed who was the special effects guy, and basically they all the all the arrows had uh, basically a thick needle, like a really yeah. thick needle. Um, now Toshiro Mifune wore protective body armor, so he could be shot by these and not be injured. Um, but it's real arrows. Like all of them are real arrow. Every single arrow that is shot in that in that sequence is real. These archers were top of their game, top of their class. Yeah, they got they got full blown professional archers. And basically, the key the key to the the key to the scene was when I when I fling my arm one way, that's the direction I'm going to run. So you shoot the other side of me. So when he moves his right arm to brush off some of the arrows that have hit the wall, and then he moves real arrows. On the wire, to be fair, they're all, they're all guided by wires, like really thin wires. They all fire straight into the wall. And those are proper arrows. The ones that hit him are the ones with the, the little needles that sit mm. nicely in his thing. Mm. And they've got like bamboo, like a, a bamboo sort of shoot thing. So it's not, they're not, they don't hit as hard. But the other ones, my word. I mean, they it creates a brilliant effect because you hear them going... And he's, he's screaming and trying to, you know, tell them to stop. And they just keep doing it. Uh, it, it's brilliant because he just it carries on it car i Goes thought like oh while. he's gonna get hit a couple of times and then then collapse but he's he still tries to keep going and it adds that sort of like again that sort of um the idea of him thinking i i i am the tony montana thing i'm invincible mm, you can't yeah. you can't kill me you can't destroy me but it's fantastic i was gonna say, i was gonna say that because brian de palma was heavily inspired by this film for Clearly, yeah. for, clearly for Scarface because he's just going, yeah, you know, all my yeah. all my men are betraying me. All all the yeah. guys, the, all my enemies have come. I mean, Scarface is Macbeth effectively. Yeah, in even more sort of like a windier way. Yeah, it is absolutely <laughs> like, and there's and there's so many kind of elements here, and you can see it. But yeah. you know, I love Scarface for what it is. It's utter eighties ridiculousness. I love it. Yeah. Um and and also for Carrie as well. So at the end of Carrie, you know, she's got she's got the mom, they're all gonna laugh at you. They're all gonna laugh at you. <laughs> you know, got all that. And then she, you know, she throws all the kind of the sticky implements, sticky implements, the sharp implements, um <laughs> in like te tele telekinetically shoots them into her body and kind of crucifies her basically. Yeah. Um, which is clearly inspired. There's no way it's not inspired by this. Um yeah. Which is amazing. I'm 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 glad that I could. When I was watching, it, I was like, "Oh, it's a bit like this and a bit like this." And then I, yeah. then I, looked, then I looked it up and I went, "Yeah, of course, it's going to be a bit like that." Um, but it's it's just phenomenal. I, I love the. It's almost a bit of a twist. Um, you know, it's yeah. the same story, but you you kind of twisting that last little element of it. Yeah. Um, I guess they've got the kind of because um, I don't. Is, is there a, is there a, um, a miscarriage in the original Macbeth? I don't think there is. Is there? I don't. Uh, it's it's heavily implied that. There the might have been, um, but it's uh, it's it again. It's open to interpretation, isn't it? Hmm. Um, so obviously they went with that direction here to sort of add fuel to the the madness fire, if you like. I mean, I think we just, I think I discussed it in sort of pre planning when I was doing Macbeth, basically like the ideas behind it and how that factors into maybe some of the decision making or just you know 
you know, what happens to her, you know, does it have some kind of like biological effect where it basically... Yeah, like a postpartum depression type thing or something. Yeah, kind of. But then we, we had we had that, the idea of the base, like, you know, she hasn't given birth to this stillborn and yet it, it's 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 still dead in inside her, if you like. And that that's what creates, you know, the madness, basically. Like, yeah. she's basically dying from the inside, legitimately dying from the inside. And again, it's it's one of them, it's... It's the good thing about Shakespeare. You can look at you can look at things, and we've seen so many variations of different Shakespeare plays where they they take things to town that aren't necessarily in there, but they're hinted at if you you know if you discuss it, you know. So <laughs> I agree. I agree. I think I think it's time to very slowly just before we move on to talk about Ron. I just want to bring up a couple more things. So Kurosawa actually wanted to make this a lot earlier than he did, like seven years earlier, in fact. Yeah. Um, but didn't because Orson Welles had just released or was in the process of releasing his mm. version of Macbeth. So he felt, okay, now's not the right time for that. Yeah. It's, you know, it's just going to be compared and clash. Um, so I won't do that. Um, yeah. you're, in, you're in good stead as well, Andy, because Michael Fassbender says that this is also his favourite mer- adaptation of uh, Macbeth. Yeah, yeah, I, I read that as well because I was reading up on like, I had a look at the different interpretations of Macbeth. I do. I, I did have that version of Macbeth that Michael Fassbender did. I didn't really. I didn't really care for it that much, to be fair. Um, but yeah, I read that that he, he's he's a big a big fan of it, and obviously that kind of influenced his own performance. I think um, in his Macbeth. Um, yeah, there, there, there's a lot of pe- there's a lot of people that like revere this film as being you know the, the pinnacle of. Uh, well, one of the pinnacle films of Kurosawa's uh, influences on Western cinema. I mean, because he's heavily influenced by Western cinema. And the great thing is, is that that influence has been returned. You know, obviously you get it with Star Wars and things like that. Like the influences have gone whole circle, which is just, it's it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Especially, obviously, you know, it wasn't that far off after the, the Second World War. Mm. And, you know, he's just he's just a filmmaker who loves art. You know, he's not bound by any sort of political ideas or anything like that. It was literally just a case of, I love, I love Western cinema, and I, I want to, you know, be inspired by that, and hopefully they can be inspired by what I do. And it, it, it happened. It happened. Yeah, I, I totally, totally agree. A um, couple more things. Um, so we were talking about all those arrows being real as well. So um, the one of the guards, uh, they actually played one of the guards who gets murdered. Oh yeah. Oh, I love this yeah. trivia. <laughs> I love this bit of trivia. He, he was he was a li- he was a little bit worried that Tashira Mifuni might miss the mark when he was stabbing him with the yeah. So it's basically it's the guard that's guarding um, uh, uh, Suzuki. Suzuki. Yeah, it's the guard. It's the guards obviously the, the guards get poisoned with sleeping potion in the play, and the same thing happens here. And basically, as he wakes up, <laughs> as he, on, as I'll he, let you do it. <laughs> as he, as he wakes up, um, obviously they run in going. You know, they find him, they wake up, they're like covered in blood, you know, and the spear and everything is in their hands. And he's like, oh, a bit discombobulated because they've been drugged. And then he's like, he's like, traitors, how dare you? And then he goes to stab him. Now, the actor was a little bit worried that, that Mifuni would miss his mark. So he put a little wooden block under his armor just in case. Um, and indeed, uh, Mifuni did miss and did actually stab him. <laughs> yeah, he cleaved right through the wood. This is how, this is how powerful the thrust was cleaved through the wood and cut the guy and he had a scar right the way through the rest of his life and uh to be fair like 
That's a cool scar to have. If you can have a, a scar yeah. for any reason, that's pretty good. See the um, scar? Got it in Throne of Blood, mate. <laughs> got it. They stabbed me. They stabbed me for an acting role. Uh, yeah. But I, again, like going back to sort of like that, that, that sequence is great because obviously the guy is completely like, what the fuck's going on? Mm. <laughs> I've just woken up. And then he comes over and it's the, the, the power of the thrust. Again, it's, it's full body acting. It's like mm. the whole huge lunge, you know, straight through. Oh, it's brilliant. I'm not surprised he got stabbed. To be fair, because it's literally, like, yeah! and it, it looked like it looks real. Even the even the stab later when the assassin comes back and and is I oh think yeah, and he stabs him through the back. Yeah, he stabs he's, and he's like yeah, and it, even that look, I'm like, oh, that does look quite real. That made yeah. me laugh. That he's like, yeah, go on, you're free to go, and he's going, thank you, my lord. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh god, but he's there it, for it, ages. Going, he's like, thank you, my lord, and they just stand up dead slow. And then stabs him straight in the back. <laughs> does he? Does he bring the the head of Miki? Does he bring his yeah. head? Yeah, that's right. Which yeah. again, again, a similar sequence in Ran as well. Um, again, it's brilliant because he, he stabs him and he doesn't die straight away. And you get that wonderful bit where um, Bushizu sort of like he stands back and he's like, "He's still alive." And he's like going, <laughs> "Oh God, oh please, oh 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 God." And he's like, "Oh." Oh, and he's doing that wonderful facial expression again, like just yeah. complete shock. And he still like comes forward a bit and goes, "Should I finish him off?" No, no, I'm okay. He still comes back again. He's like, "Oh no, uh, uh," and then he does die. And there's that wonderful like two or three seconds where the guy's just completely dead on the floor, and he's still just stood there at the back, going, "Have I killed him? Have I killed him? Yeah, I've killed him." <laughs> I did question this about the films that they're all they're discussing these evil plots and plans and ideas and stuff and they're like like we best close these doors so no one hears us. I'm like those walls are those walls are literally paper thin. They are literally paper thin. You could you know I've seen it in films. People just jump through those bloody walls. It's just the, the yeah. tiny like. Then the Simpsons do a joke anyway. Homer just walks through them, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> So I I I have the feeling that a lot of people probably knew what was going on, yeah. especially in this one, most definitely in Ran as well. But I just think, yeah. why, why even bother closing those doors? Yeah. Everyone's going to hear you do what you do or say what you say. So yeah, there's a load of occasions yeah. in Ran where they do actually close the doors, and you're like, yeah, there's no point. <laughs> there's no point. Um, one one last okay. thing before one last thing before we move on. The um, Kira Kurosawa did also uh, do another. Shakespearean ad- adaptation, um, but it was not a samurai film. It was it was called The Bad Sleep Well, um, and it was an adaptation of Hamlet. It's kind of a film noir type thing, um, but it's basically very inspired by that. So I might I might give that one a look as well because yeah. um, I, w- I would like to see his non samurai stuff as well because that'd be quite interesting to see. Yeah, oh yeah, we're good. Yeah, but yeah, Throne of Blood, excellent film. Moving on to Ron. Um, yes. So what do you think about Ron? Um, oh, it, for me, I, I love a good sprawling epic. I really do. Um, like I, I mentioned a couple. Um, for me, I, I re I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would. I don't know why. I don't know. I don't know whether I had some kind of pre, you know, you know, pre-watching sort of thoughts on it. Even though, I, again, I hadn't seen either of these films, but I, I, lo- I loved it. And at the same time, I was like, ah, oh, I just wanted a little bit more. Mm. Um, I don't know what it is about it, but I, I did love it. Yeah, I, I mean, it sounds like I'm. Sounds like I, I didn't. I actually, I actually like this a hell of a lot, and I think it is purely to do with you know everything that was in Throne of Blood is dialed up, mm. you know, that much more. The performances are 
that much more the music is that much more the the action the color the color in this film is bloody exquisite and it won, it won the academy award for um for like costume design purely because the coloring of all the costumes is something else and you got these bright colors blue yellow reds you know all the, all the primary colors they're all absolutely brilliant and you've got the sprawling green fields which are just perfectly green and not a shred of anything wrong with them they're all perfect but i think my main thing is that i'm not really a big fan of king lear i think that is probably where i struggled in places because i don't actually like king lear as a play i never have done i did it in um gcs english which oh, it's not that's not fair on the play itself but i've never had any inclinations to watch a theater production of it i've watched a few films of it and i haven't enjoyed a single one that's I think it's just I think it's just the source material for me that kind of knocks this down a bit. But everything else, I absolutely love about this film. Well, I, I think I'm in a similar I'm in a similar vein as you. I think I feel the same way about it. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's well acted. It's full of color, full of amazing scenes, amazing sequences. Um, the I think the script is strong. I think it's a really good script. I think the yeah, dialogue I th- I is. Think, I think. Going back to what I said, I think it does a better job of adapting King Lear than any other you know, production that I've seen. Um, I think it, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll just say, I think it is the best King Lear production. Like, you know, like for a blank, I said, that's the best Macbeth production. I think these two are the best productions of the source materials that I've seen. It's just there's still, still the little things about King Lear that, you know, the book it, dra- it dragged in the play, therefore it drags here, even though, again, it takes a lot of liberties with the source material. There are things that are vastly cut, vastly altered. Mm. There's still a few moments where I was like, ah, I just don't, I, I don't, ah, I just couldn't get into it. I think it is mainly towards the middle part when he's when he's gone mad and he's, he's being looked after by the fool and comes across somebody who he's committed an atrocity to, mm. you know, there's that, I was kind of like, oh, I'm just, I'm struggling here. I'm struggling here. It's still beautiful. It still looks beautiful. Performances are still incredible, but I, I still just struggled with it in the middle yeah. portion. No, I, I, I think I, I agree with you. I think that's when my kind of concentration kind of dipped as well, or my, my enjoyment of the film to kind of go, okay. Cause, cause, and even towards the end, I was like, is this the end? Is this the end? Is this the end? Yeah. There's a bit, there's a bit of that as well. Cause I was like, you know, I'm, I was interested to kind of see where it was going. It does really ramp up towards the end. And I enjoyed that. And I love the, the kind of battle and that sort of stuff. Um, but there was kind of, mo- there was kind of a return the King aspect to it. I'm like, it's okay. It's an epic. <laughs> But do we have to have 20 different endings? Maybe not. Um, I, again, I enjoyed it very much, like a lot. So the plot, if you don't know King, King Lear or Ron, the plot for it is uh, it's a elderly uh, samurai lord who is bequeathing power to his three sons. Now, he uses a, kind of an analogy or a parable, um, and it's quite a famous Japanese parable um, from uh, this character called, well, character person, I guess, uh, Mori Mutanare, uh, and it's a story about his three sons. And the parable goes that um, he gives all, all of his sons an arrow, uh, and he says, break the arrow. They all break it. Then he gives them a bunch of arrows, three together, and says, try and break that. And obviously he's saying that 
Combined, you are stronger together than you ever are apart. No one will ever defeat you. So I'm bequeathing my power to all of my sons. Um, but I will retain my lordship and my my guard, my private guard will still be mine. Yeah. And I and for the rest of my life, I will visit your castles, you know, as I live out my life. And and all the sons are like, I love you, I love you. Um, you know, you are the best, you are the most sensible, you are the most intelligent, you are the greatest warrior. Like, and he's still got some skills, like he kills like a boar or something, I think, at the start with the bow yeah, and arrow. Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. And then kills another character later on with the bow and arrow. So he's not he's not useless, he's not completely like um, the makeup on uh, Lord Hideotora, I think he's called, um, yeah. is, is amazing. Um, it's fantastic. It looks great. Um, but the one of the youngest son is uh, so you've got um, Saburo is the youngest son, and you've also got um, Taro, who's the eldest. He dresses in yellow. Jiro is the second eldest or second young middle child. Uh, he dresses in red, and Saburo dresses in blue. Uh, like you said, again, the primary colors are off the charts. Um, yeah. But I liked that because it, it made I always knew which character it was, as well. Yeah. Like if I, if I if because there's so many so much stuff going on in this and so many characters. I'm glad there was that distinction between the colors and the characters because yeah, I yeah. can go okay. The red is the second son. The blue is the youngest son. Um, so Saburo, he he actually puts it puts his knee to the arrows, the three arrows, and breaks them and says, "Father, you are wrong. You are stupid." You you have been a merciless, horrible, bloodletting warlord for all of your life, and now you are expecting all of us to work together and to not have that ambition or that yeah. drive for power. <clears throat> you are being utterly ridiculous and senile in your old age. What are you talking about? Uh, Hideotora is offended by this, even though Saburo is making excellent points. He's he's completely yeah. right. He's completely right. Um, everything he's saying, he's, he's he feels Hideotora feels he's being disrespectful. So what mm. he does, he basically exiles Saburo, the only good son, effective that we know yeah. of at the moment that we kind of know of. They're like he's honest, and he, you know, it's it's like it's kept like King Lear with Cordelia, who says, you know. You know, how much do you love me? Tell me how much you love me. Um, and she goes, well, I love you as much as I should love a father. And I go, right, piss off. Um, you know, <laughs> that's, that's basically the same the same thing. <laughs> yeah, you're all right. Get the fuck out. <laughs> Get the fuck out. Um, so, so, yeah, we have that. And Saburo, along with, I think he's called Tango, they are both exiled. Um, and Tango says he's going to dress in disguise and watch over the Lord because he still respects him and wants to yeah. look after him. And he even defends Saburo's ideas. He's like, yeah, he's probably said it in a bad way, but he is making very valid points. Um, so then he's he's exiled. And you don't really see much of Saburo until the end, really. So yeah. it's much like when you're teaching and there's a naughty child in the class and you spend more time with the naughty children. <laughs> Uh, than you do with Saburo. But he does come back and has a big part to play later on. Um, again, still loves his father, forgives him, all that sort of stuff. So then the Hideotora, Lord Hideotora, goes to the the, the eldest son. The, there is a character in it called, uh, I think it's Kayuyami, who plays a kind of a jester fool character, which has no... Historically, there is no such character in Japanese culture or in samurai culture. It's it's kind of a... It's, it comes from the Shakespearean play, comes from that medieval... Yeah, yeah, yeah that kind of Elizabethan era, wherever, whenever it was set. Um, but I think he's one of the better characters in the film, actually, and yeah, mo the, most interesting. Yeah, the character was expanded purely for this. I mean, the, the fool in King Lear isn't really that big of a, a character. Mm. Um, in this, he kind of... He's expanded to basically provide... Um, is, he, is he kind of like... He's a bit like an Edgar, would you say? Or a... 
Or yeah, I mean, yeah, he's 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 given the job of basically adding, you know, thought processes to uh, Leah when obviously he goes insane, isn't he? When he he doesn't really talk that much, so yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, again, this is one of the parts where I was like, it, it, it confused me a bit because I was like, okay, this guy is hanging around. Yeah, uh, interesting. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting character, an interesting thing to place within all this. But yeah. um, anyway, Hideyatora goes to the first castle, um, and the the jester, the fool character Kayayami, is making fun of the lord of the castle, so the eldest son, um, which he doesn't like, and then the, which the soldiers don't like either because they feel like he's being disrespectful. Um, but the agreement is that they don't touch um, any of his men, any of Lord Hideyatora's men that he's kept with him. Um, so they go to kill Kayayami because of the disrespect, and Hideyatora fires an arrow and kills one of his son's men, uh, which leads to him having to sign this contract uh, making sure that he still gets all the power and they can't stay here anymore yeah. and to you know and to move because the problem is the men that are staying there they don't have a problem with the father Hideotora staying there but it's all the yeah. men because they're you know they're just causing trouble um but then he he gets kicked out and then <laughs> he goes to the next castle he gets kicked out by the other son and then he just is left to you know, wander Japan aimlessly with no love and, you know, barely any people. Like, he loses a lot of his men. You know, he ends yeah. up alone. Oh, loses? Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> they, get, they get massacred. They get absolutely massacred, yeah. Yeah. Um, really, but- it, 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 it ramps up, doesn't it? It goes from it goes from the extreme of going, right, you have to leave because you're fool. We don't like you fool. Mm. Um, and then the next one is, oh, we're just going to kill you. Yeah. <laughs> If you don't leave, we'll kill you. Basically, yeah, you, you don't you don't deserve anything. Um, there's a really nice scene early on with uh, Lady Sue, who is who is the wife uh, the wife of the second son, um, and she basically there's this lovely backlit um, you know sun setting, and Hideyatora goes, "I've been really bad to you. I've been awful to you your entire life," which he blinds he phys- he orders her. So he ordered her father killed and then ordered his son and his, her brother to be blinded. He is a he's a cruel, despicable guy. And all all in this film, he's basically and this is this is a moment where he's basically asking her for forgiveness because he feels guilty. Um yeah. and and she's I mean, like it's one one thing about about the play is that the uh, the play uh, the play compared to to this film, there's like the crucial difference between the two stories is that in King Lear, it's about undeserved suffering and it portrays Lear as, you know, just a fool. You know, he's even more of a fool than the actual fool is in, in the play. In this, the contrast is that he's been a really, really horrible man throughout his life. He's been cruel. He's executed men, women and children and murdered people by the thousands just to achieve his own singular goals. The everything that happens to him in this version is well deserved. Like he gets, oh, yeah. it, like with, like you said in the play, not so much. He's kind of just a bit of an idiot. Yeah, it doesn't paint it sympathetically at all in this. In this, and uh, and he, she comes up later. Uh, she's trying to escape because she's trying to be. She's being, you know, trying to be assassinated. Someone's trying to assassinate her. Um, and then they meet again, and that's one of the one of the kind of things that crystallizes in his madness. He goes. Oh my God, that's Lady Sue. Oh my God, she's coming back for me. Oh my God, all the things I did to her, all the you know, and and you know, like you said, he meets meets the blind brother as well. Um, 
Who he blinded personally. That's what I tell you. He blinded that person personally. Mm. Did it yeah. himself. It's just, yeah. It just, I. It, it adds to, like, just it's purely unsympathetic. The yeah. entire, everything that happens to him. Bit and, weird. And it's 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 in, it's an interesting kind of dichotomy because you do feel for him. Yeah. Yet, yet, you know he's done all this shit. Like it's it's almost like it's almost like kind of it's a bit like watching Joker and stuff. You. You kind of identify with the person, but you don't cond- you don't condone the actions. You know the me- the means don't justify the end, sort of thing. Yeah. Um, even, it- even Lady Carde, who basically she's the one that basically constructs the entirety of the plot, mm. you know, to overthrow him and to you know punish the other punish the sons. Basically, she was a victim of him as well. Mm. So even she's even she in a, in her vast extremeness in creating this massive plot. Is more sympathetic than than he is, and yet she is utterly terrible herself as well. Oh, I, I have to say the female ca- like the female characters in both of the films are amazing. I didn't expect them to be as 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 well developed or as interesting or as fascinating as they are. Uh, like Asagi and Lady Kaide, uh, just amazing, just wonderful yeah. bit of like you know great depth character ambition drive they've got everything any like we talk about poorly written female characters my god these are written so well like these, yeah, yeah, yeah. this is the example they are arguably they're both fairly villainous these particular characters but they're very well written and well performed yeah, La- La- lady kaide is terrifying in the whole film yeah terrifying. They, they, they appear subservient in every aspect of the film but they're clearly not. They 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 play they're playing the subservient role, and yet when they want to do something, that's when you see them spring into action. Yeah. Again, Lady Kade and um, Hidatora, they're the both they're both examples of the the no theatre um, in this film. The two singular examples. Everybody else plays it quite straight, you know, you know, naturalistic. But here, obviously, with the, with the facial makeup of Hidatora, and then. Lady Cardi, where she's very still, very measured, and yet when she, again when she wants something, she's up there and she's directly straight going for it. Mate. Just highlights how how powerful a character she is. So, so the second son, so Jiro kills um, kills Taro, her husband, and then she comes in very like you know head in hands, like I'm very sorry, uh, you know, will you forgive me? And then snaps, like you said, snaps into action, gets out a sword, and almost kills him there and then. Yeah. He, and like starts slitting at his throat very gently, yeah. saying, "I'm just going to fucking kill you because you deserve to die." I hate, I hate the Ichimonji dynasty or whatever they call it. The family is like, "I'm gonna, I'm just going to fucking kill you." Um, <laughs> and and she has so much power in that scene. And then, and then they, and then they have they have sex um, not long after. Um, you know, because I'm always very turned on when someone has a knife to my throat. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so they have sex and then she's like well you've got to marry me i'm not going to be your concubine don't not for a fuck, fucking second will you believe well i will anyone believe that i'm your concubine i'm in charge i'll tell you what to do and 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 that's like there's a lot of comments in the film like that the male characters being led around by the female characters and they are absolutely wearing the trousers and and have all the power and all the intelligence like all the men are effectively just greedy idiots um and the the female characters kind of guiding them through the you know that it's their their ambition more so than probably you know the male characters ambition which yeah is- they're, they're all they're all surprised come the end of it 
Right, we'll ju- jump ahead just a little bit, just to yeah. that, that last sequence with Lady Cardi, where basically they, they march straight in and she's there going, well, I've achieved everything I wanted to achieve. What have you done? And they're, they're furious. They're like, she's fucking right. Yeah, She's just- done all this without us even knowing. And, you know, the, the fury comes from that. Mm. But yeah, you're you're absolutely right. And it's almost like, it's almost like um, civil war when Zemo's like, yeah, I've I've done everything I need to do. You know, yeah. I've I broke up. <laughs> didn't need to fire one shot. I've done. Uh, I've managed to do everything I planned to do, and now I've just you know I'm I'm happy with my role. And, and you know, he goes to kill himself. You know, but that that um so that that soldier has a great scene earlier on because Lady Carde comes in. She says, "I'm going to get married." Um, we're going to get married. Jiro and Carde are going to get married. And this, his like first officer, they're like, you're going to have to kill uh, Lady Sue now. You will murder her. Um, and he's like, are you, are you kidding? And, 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 and you think like, cause she like Jiro's talking to him and he's like, you're an idiot. You're being led around by this woman. Yeah. What are you thinking? And then she walks in and she tells him to do it. And, and you believe hundred percent that he's going like, she convinces him. She's like, yeah. you will do it. I've said you will do it and you will do it. Like cold, calmly calculating, gets that across. And he walks off and he's like, I am going to do it. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to do it. Like the way he reacts, he's like, yeah, she's right. I've got to do this now. This is the only way. And it's like amazing bit of just, um, yeah. however, that the, the best bit, my favorite, probably one of my favorite parts of the film comes later. He arrives back. And she's she he's has this bundle this again a head yeah you brought the head of this person that I want killed um, and Lady Cardi's like I'm very glad you did it so quickly I appreciate your service da 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 yeah. um, and he's like but yeah I, 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 I properly salted it so it wouldn't go off in trouble yes that's right like, yeah. yeah fantastic great I really want to see the really want to see this head yeah I put I put loads of salt because that's what she advises him when she's telling him to do it yeah. he's like he's like yeah yeah okay okay I'll go and do it um and it's like he he places it there he's he's very happy um and she reveals and she f- flings it kind of across the room and says what the hell is this and it's a it's a it's a is it a cat or a dog or no a fox 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 yeah so like a porcelain fox's head is yeah <laughs> and uh and, and he's like oh what's happened there oh um, oh, I didn't realize, but Lady <laughs> Lady Sue has turned into a fox. You know, some women in in you know in history can change shape and and have have known to change into things. So very strange, very very weird. And she, it's, it's lovely back and forth because she's like, oh really, oh really, is that really what happened? Yeah, it must be. It must be because it's here. <laughs> yeah. it has to be. I definitely did it. It's here. It's got the salt in it. Um, and it's it's like I will say this about Throne of Blood. There's not as much humor. Yeah, uh, like like really good humor in Throne of Blood as compared to to Ron. And this is like what this is a moment where I was just I was I was laughing out loud. I thought it was hilarious. And he's like, Yeah, yeah well, you know, that's uh, that is what that is what you do. That is, that is what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? Um and he's yeah, oh, just such a such a great little just such a great little scene. And it, and he's fantastic. And and that that just brings even more um kind of legitimacy to when he beheads Lady Cardi later. He's like, yeah. he's like, you have ruined everything. You have turned this, this, you know, the, I think he says you've ruined the Ichimonji dynasty or that the family of the yeah. household. Everything is, everything is destroyed. Everyone's dead. And it's all, it's all you. And then and she, that and she just goes, yep, that's exactly what I wanted to do. And he, he, he's like I said, he's absolutely furious by it. And 
Oh, instantly like, beheads her, and yeah. then her. And I don't know what it is about like Japanese media, but everyone seems to be like a high. Every human seems to be like a high pressure bag of blood when they when they <laughs> get when they get arms cut off or the heads cut off because that blood. And I'm so glad this was in color because yeah. that moment when her head comes off. And the the blood sprays all the, all across the wall is one of the probably one of the best shots I've ever seen in cinema. It's good. Yeah, it's it's a really really good shot because it's it's obviously it's not done with any major effects. It's literally obviously there's, there must be like some kind of cannon sat behind her because it's quite a, it's a wide angle shot, isn't it? I say a wide angle of a room. Basically, you you follow them in as they burst through this room and she's just there, and the camera is fixated like on her. The entire time, and when she when she basically says, oh, "This is everything I wanted to achieve. I don't care. I'm done." And it sort of the camera sort of like lifts up, doesn't it, to catch her. His head unsheaves this sword mm. and cuts cuts her down in one movement, and you get that wonderful spray at the back. I think there's a, a really good thing I noticed it where there's another actor basically, and he shifts to cover her. So obviously ah. she obviously ducks at that point, but he, he shifts the cover her, but he does it in a way he's like almost trying to stop him from beheading her. So it's, it's really well done. It's really well shot, really well planned because it is just, it's one single take. Obviously it's not a long take, but it's one single, you know, one single take where they go in, she says this and he absolutely fucking loses it and cuts her head off in one go. And then you see him put it back in and then they walk out and he's just got that wonderful spray up the wall but obviously you can see where the influences for like Kill Bill and things like that have come from purely oh, because yeah. it is it's such a dramatic spray on this clear white wall obviously done for that effect you know, there's no there's no way of completely misconstruing the fact that she, oh, she is completely dead yes true um yeah I just it's, it's just so so well done. You wanted to talk about um, a sequence uh, about the you said about an hour in, um, which yeah. I think again is one of the most beautiful sequences in the film. It, it ties into basically what we're saying about like, the brutality of the violence. Sort of like in that scene where there's that clear blood spray up the wall, and basically it is it's, it's when he's at the second castle, isn't it? Yeah. These two armies come in and just completely ruin everything and kill everyone, literally everyone. They burn this entire castle as well. Um, I think I think it might be the third castle because I don't think Sabora oh, there, the, is he? No, sorry, yeah, the third one, sorry. Yeah, because Jiro's in the second one. But yeah. he, he, again, I, I, forgive, I forgive you because it is fairly, yeah. there's a lot going on. It's fairly complex yeah. as, a, as a film. Um, but yeah, because they're not there. They arrive and they're like, well, yeah, you've, you've banished you've banished Saburo, so we want nothing to do with you. You can have the castle. We don't care. Yeah. We're, we're going to go be with our master. Um, so they leave. So then all of all of Hidutora's men have free reign of the castle. And yeah. then, then that's, when it get, that's when it gets attacked. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's literally, it's like a siege battle in the extreme. And there's no, it, there's clearly been no expense spared on it. There's fire arrows, there's there's people being cut down left, right and centre. There's hundreds of horsemen, absolutely hundreds of horsemen, hundreds of extras. And it starts where, you know, you can hear all this commotion, Hidatora can hear all this commotion outside, can't he? And he comes out and there's, there's one guard who's literally just been peppered with arrows, which I love. He's just there going, oh, they, they came out of nowhere. And he's just stood there. And this poor guy is just riddled with arrows. And then he slowly dies. And obviously Hidatora runs away to try and, you know, hide. And 
it cuts. There's no there's no more sound effects or anything. There's no more screaming or shouting. It's just pure music. And against this backdrop of like this epic score, you just see all this carnage unfold. And it is literal carnage. I mean, it, it takes this film has a little bit of difference to it because of some of the um, some of the soldiers have uh, rifles. So you've got to that stage where obviously they, they're using rifles as well as bow and arrows. So you get this weird sort of like combination of arrows flying across the across the across the you know the landscape and you know the smoke from all these rifles going off. And then you've got this this, this rush of color, this rush of red and like brilliant oranges with the, with the fire and everything. It's just, it's absolutely insane. I mean, yeah. I played it back about four times just so I could see, because it, it cuts, there's a lot of cuts in it. Um, just to ramp up sort of like the, you know, the actual madness of everything. The chaos of everything. Yeah. Yeah. It does kind of come out of nowhere as well. It there's no real sort of major build up to it other than like what's happened in the previous two you know, places that he's been to, obviously, he's losing favour with everyone. Mm. And it does just kind of happen out of nowhere. And I think that's what threw me off. I was like, I was so shocked, like, how brutal it all of a sudden became. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, the, I mean, the title um, roughly translates, Ron roughly translates as either chaos, revolt, uprising, rebellion, confused or disturbed. Yeah, all, all of them summing up, especially like they're, they're obviously revolting. Uh, revolt, yeah. yeah, revolting against sort of like Hirator and basically saying we, we can't, we can't, we can't carry on like this. It's it's, it's not right. He doesn't know what he's doing. Mm. Uh, let's take him out and make him force him to perform, you know, the ancient rites and make him kill himself. But they they literally they don't they don't they don't hold back. I mean, this whole sequence is basically you follow Hirator around this castle as people are being killed left, right, and center. And he walks into one room and there's two obviously female concubines that are in this room and they both kill each other. And he, he just stood there and then he, he, he runs away and then a load of other concubines are running with him. And as he's trying to get upstairs, they turn around as these soldiers come through and these soldiers basically, they, they form a human shield against these soldiers and they all get rifled out. Mm. Absolutely in, insane. Again, the again, they're they're following the Lord because he still yeah. has. They yeah. see him as still having his powers, yeah. uh, even though he's kind of signed them away. And yeah, we get he he runs up the stairs, and it's this is the bit that's like probably the most heartbreaking bit is that he's trying to kill himself, but he's oh, lost, and he's lost his sword. He's lost his sword, and he can't find a sword. He broke it, broke it, didn't he? he? Broke his sword or something? That's yeah. I think he fight. He goes to fight with somebody or something. It breaks or. And then, and, he, and he's trying to find it, and he goes for his belt, and it's not there. Then he's looking for all these soldiers with any swords, and then he he just kind of just fucking sits down and accepts it. Um, yeah, it's a great it's a great shot because he, he he's at the top of this castle, obviously, and like again, it keeps cutting to outside where everyone's being massacred. You see, you see people with seem some soldiers where they've lost an arm. There's one guy wandering around at one point with an arrow in his eye. Um, there's horses like falling over and things like that. There's, there's so much going on in this shot. That's why I put it back you know, mm. a few times because there's so much going on. And again, there's, there's no, there's no, there's no sound effects. There's no dialogue. It's all just pure music. Mm. And there's that wonderful shot when it's, it's a couple of seconds and you see him, the castle's on fire, and it cuts to him in this room at the top, and he's, he's completely despondent. He's just sat in a heap. You know, as fires building up around him, a couple of arrows fling past his head and hit a wall, sat right next to him. It's just, it's beautiful, absolutely beautiful shot, cool. and and that's that's my favourite sequence in the film. 
purely because I didn't expect it. And at the same time, because of how incredibly well done it is. I mean, they used multiple cameras for that sequence from what I researched on it and basically just let it all unfold. And, you know, obviously they did different shots when they're inside the castle and whatever, but the main outdoor sequences were all just done in real time. It was get it filmed, we'll use different cameras, we'll pick up whatever we pick up and use that. Because you do see people falling over. Hmm. There's, there's a wonderful shot where there's there's extras running down a hillside. Obviously, one of these armies is bre- breached through. And I saw it. There's an extra who falls over and rolls about six times down this hill, and everyone else is just running away from him. And they don't care. And you see him get up. You see him get up, and he's like, "Oh, it's really, really funny." Yeah, I, 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 I really quite like the shot where um, he's basically. I think at that moment he he goes mad for me. I think that is the moment he. That's it for him. His mind is just gone because of everything. He's lost everything. This is it. This is it. It's all he has left. And he's just walking down the stairs and he's got that almost blank expression on his face or like that confused expression on his face. And that all the soldiers just let him pass because they're just like, he's bro- he's a broken man. He's, you know. Yeah, it, it, it comes down those those long, steep stairs, isn't he? And he mm-hmm. walks through that the courtyard. It's like the, the, the courtyard is all like black and scorched and everything. And he's just wandering through both of these armies just split down the courtyard and he just walks through the main gate stops sort of like confusedly looks around and then and peels off yeah it's brilliant because nobody knows what to do because obviously this is the lord and they all expected him to perform seppuko Mm. and he he hasn't done it so they're all like well what do we do what do we do we can't just kill him outright because that's not the way we do things Mm. what do we do and then they just go let him go Mm. he's not he's not that person anymore let him go Yeah, it's kind of just got to let it go. And then the only survivors really is is him and the jester, Kayami. But what I love about Kayami is all the way all the way through the film, he's seen all these awful things happen, and he's making fun of his lord. He's making fun of other people. He's taking it, you know, he's taking it quite well. He's like, I'm a jester. I've got to do my job. It doesn't matter what's happening. I've still got to make people laugh. And even and towards the end, like after they meet um, Lady Sue's, you know, I think it's Suriyama, um, who's blind. You know, Hideyatori is going to get more mad and more like, what's going on? And even the jokes aren't landing for him because he doesn't. He's mad, and he's like, you know, even even the same, the mad in a mad world are actually the same ones. That kind of thing. And it's brilliant. But I love when he breaks and he finally is just. He's like nothing is there's nothing funny about this you know it's this is just tragedy you know this tragedy does have links with comedy but this is just pure tragedy i hate the man can't stand him um and you know there's that sequence from lear where he makes that leap as you know a leap off that cliff and then he's not actually on a cliff when he's yeah. blind um there's not that he's not blind in the in this film but you know but the, the in that moment he does it voluntarily he doesn't say oh you can you know here's your cliff you know he just goes yeah. He's like, yeah, you might as well kill yourself. And he's like, all right then, way. Um, <laughs> he just jumps off the cliff, and he's like, oh my god, he actually jumped. Um, and but I love that his 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 arc is just like it's, yeah. it's all, it's all gone to shit. Like it is a pure, unadulterated tragedy. The whole thing. Um, Literally, every, everybody suffers in this film. Even at the even suffers. at the end, even at the end, when Saburo finally comes in, he's trying to find his father. That's his first thing. He's like, "I've got to find my father. I've got to protect my father." And he does do it. And he and he's and they're riding off on the horse back together. And, and you know, and he he finds him and he doesn't really recognize him. And he's like, "It's me, your son. Me, your son." He's like, "What father? What? Do, why are you calling me father? What does that mean?" And eventually, he's like, "Saburo, Saburo, I recognize you, my son. Yes." Yeah. And, and they're on that lovely horse. They've won the battle. They're 
they're, they're on the horse ride together. They're, they're off on the way. And it's like, it's like, you know what? We're going to have a good sit down father and son. We're having a great chat. You and me, yeah. you know, you've, you've proven me proud. And then Saburo gets fucking arrow and dies. <laughs> oh, and then, and then he's like, you know, people think he's too mad to tell when someone's dead. And he's like, I can tell when someone is dead. You know, there's a bit, there's a bit of light at the end of the tunnel. And then it's, and then, you know, Hideotora just dies of a broken heart because his son, yeah. just, his last hope, his last, you know, vestige of who he was and the power he had is gone, dead in front of him in proper shocking kind of like, it's definitely one of those more shocking deaths in, in the film. Yeah. You're not expecting it. It comes out of absolutely nowhere. And then the soldiers come back in like, we won. Yes, we won. And they went, oh shit, he's dead. Yeah, it was a, it was a, a pyrrhic victory. Nobody won. And the most tr- probably... It's all tragic, but this is the most tragic bit. Lady Sue was trying to escape her assassin, and she goes back to get the blind guy's flute because that's all he has in his life. Yeah, she does get assassinated, but she says to the blind guy, her blind brother, to stay there, um, don't move. I'll be right back. And then at the end of the film, he's left on top of this castle alone, not yeah. knowing the where castle to go. Wall that he nearly fell off as well, and he's yeah. like. And he, he almost falls off and he's he's just left there and he doesn't know if his sister's going to come back. He doesn't know the outcome that, that of the battle. wonderful little shot where he, he drops that that scroll that he, yeah. he has in his possession. The, it's the like, Buddha, yeah, the little Buddha scroll. Yeah, and he's like, oh, all, all hope has literally evaporated. No one is getting out of this film. No, it's, it's, it's tr- truly, truly tragic. Um, speaking of tragic... Let's talk about Akira Kurosawa's life because he said when making this film, this is at the end, towards the end of his life. It's, it's, he, he did make a few more films after this. Um, yeah. But this was nothing his, as epic as this, though. No, this was his last epic. Uh, this was his last big kind of hurrah before, before the end. He did, he did get a, before he died, he did get an honorary Oscar, a Lifetime Achievement Oscar in 1990, which I think uh, it was Francis Ford Coppola and George Lucas, I think. Be- yeah. It over, and they they previously funded his last film, which they he considered his dress rehearsal for this uh, Kage Kage Musha, because obviously he was struggling and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So on this film, he had pretty much entirely lost his sight. To think that he made such a beautiful film while almost being blind is incredible. Yeah, I mean that 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 says it all, really, doesn't it? I mean, literally, there's again. Every single shot is absolutely perfect. The way it looks, the colouring of it. I mean, it's it's almost overly done. You know, it, it fits, it works, and it the film is better for it as well. He was he was mostly helped by his assistants who would um, yeah. make storyboards, but he also painted storyboards himself. Yeah, um, for and, years before making it. Yeah, and if you if you can find them, if you can find the image of them, they are gorgeous, full of color, beautiful bits of artwork. Um, but they look exactly like the film, like exactly, like it's the same. And again, I think it's it's amazing. Um, he also said of the film that he felt like Lord Hideotora. He felt like King Lear his entire life. You know, yeah. um, he was he was kind of. Um, considered old-fashioned at the uh, towards the end of yeah, the sixties, I think. Um, yeah. And there was all these there was all these young filmmakers trying to step on his corpse to get to the top, saying, "Yeah, he's shit, he's rubbish." You know, don't listen to him. Um, which is not unlike again the story here. Um, 
and it got so bad that he he actually attempted to commit suicide as well. Um, he slit his wrists and you know hoped he would die, but he didn't, and you know he survived. And um, it was only later in his life when he was really being appreciated, um, probably around this time, um, around Kagemusha and uh, into into the 80s, really. The 70s kind of was like a low point for him. Yeah, he had a load of box office flops, um, and. He created a, a production company that was bankrupted after one film because it did that badly. Wow! Basically, it just completely decimated the film. And not only that, but um, like prior to the prior to making this, he was he was hired for the uh, the war movie Tora Tora Tora, ah. and basically he was he was he was fired off that over creative differences. With this, you know, with Ron, with like the storyboards and everything, he wanted everything specific and. Basically, that wasn't really the film for it, horribly enough. I mean, it probably... I mean, Toro 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 is a great film, but, you know, you got to wonder what the, the Kurosawa vision would have been for that. And during the production of this film, though, as well, it, his, his, his misfortune didn't really sort of end, did it? I mean, I've, I've got one up here. Basically, it, like, his wife died during the production of the film, and it, he, only, only, he only stopped filming for one day. He only mourned for one day, um, and then his his recording engineer, his longtime recording engineer, like died late into production as well. It, it's just it's just constant misfortune. Yeah, but then that adds to you know the perfection of this film. You know, it meant everything to him, and you can see it. You can see it. You can feel it. Uh, you can almost taste it, like the perfection in this film. I mean, it, it, it is regarded. This film, I think, is regarded probably higher than Throne of Blood, yeah. you know, from the cri critical standpoint and commercial standpoint, obviously as well. This this was what like one of the the biggest the biggest films in Japanese history at one point. I mean, it was that it was that big. It was that well well renowned, not just in Japan, but it made that transference over to Western cinema as well, and was just so widely regarded. I think Roger Ebert absolutely loved it as well. You know, the, the the legendary film critic, and I think that's that's. That's a wonderful sort of like you know he's gone through all this strife and all this all these problems all these horrible moments in his life and then he's still been able to create something like this which you know is it's a perfect piece of cinema even though it does have those those moments that you know where it doesn't quite work in some places it's still it's it's still a perfect piece of honest epic filmmaking that you don't get anymore you don't get a film like this anymore no. you'll never see a film like this anymore no. you know you could you could say that maybe lord of the rings you know with the amount of things that peter jackson put into it you know the effort the sheer fact that they, they filmed back to back every single one of them and things like that but you still you know that's it's still not this it's no. still not this where the heart and soul is in it. Like you said, he saw himself in Hidatora, you know, all the pain and the suffering and the ridicule that he got, unnecessary ridicule, ridiculous ridicule from all these upstart filmmakers. I mean, who the fuck did they think they were, to be quite honest? I mean, it's like, it's like if I made a film and uh, with like Space Wizards and said, oh, it's fucking George Lucas can't make anything like this. You know, he's a washed up hack. Yeah. These guys were probably inspired by fucking Kurosawa, and then they had the balls to, you know, say, "Oh, he's washed up, mm. rubbish." That's a crap. Yeah, he's um, it's it's interesting. Like his his point of view, he, he's quite. He was quite a pessimistic person, really. 
yeah. I mean, like, yeah. Which is, which is yeah, which is quite strange to see this much passion and and you know technical expertise put on screen and then still be quite like. Eh life is a bit shit isn't it like his he was really after living through kind of uh hiroshima you know he's he had quite a pessimistic worldview on war nuclear warfare you know he he, he thought he thought you know towards the end of life he was like for all the technological advancements of the 20th century all we've done is found better ways to kill each other you know and, and that, i think that does that does color his films. I can definitely, especially in Ron, I can definitely see that oh, yeah. kind of that pessimism more so than Throne of Blood. Um, but it, but it's still a, there's a little bit of that peppered in there. But I think by the time he got on to this point, he was probably quite kind of jaded with the world and stuff. Um, but again, created an absolute masterpiece um, with this film. But yeah. So I think the time has come, sir, for us to make some decisions. Um, so as per <laughs> As per usual, we like to uh, categorise, we like to compare on five different categories and see how the two films compare. So first off, it's going to be writing. Um, which film do you think is better written? Ah, okay. Interesting. Oh. I think this is going to be a tough one again, yet, yet again. <laughs> I mean, just in terms of obviously making Kingly a work, I think I, I noted that in my research that he was concerned that these characters didn't have a past. It didn't seem like they existed before the play started. Hmm. So for the film, he wanted to create this, you know, this idea of the dynasty, you know, which is why he made Hidatora so, you know, violent and cruel. So it gives him a past with which they, you know, everything that transpires can be built off. Like, because Kin Lear just throws you in and you, you, you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> everybody hates him why you know it doesn't really give you that much you know which is why they play to the, the fool aspect of it in the play because there's nothing really you know to suggest otherwise other than you love me don't you you love me no get the fuck out you know like <laughs> you said before um i think for that i think because it, it gave that backstory to the characters that history that never happened if you like very very star warsy um i think I'd probably lean more towards Ran personally. Hmm. Ran, 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 Ran fucking Ron. ran out a window. <laughs> <laughs> I'd lean, lean more towards Ran, I think. But then again, I really, really like the subtleties in the way everything's scripted and paced, and the dialogue, obviously, in Throne of Blood, because they work the silence better in Throne of Blood. Because of the scripting, than they do in Ran. Ah, hmm. oh, fucking hell! It's tricky. It is tricky. I will. I will say this about the writing for Throne of Blood: is it is a very it is Macbeth. Like it, it, there's not many real changes, dramatic changes. No. Like like you know, you still it's you know you have the battle. You know, it's it beat for beat. It is pretty much Macbeth, I think. Yeah, and 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 that's not necessarily a bad thing. No, but like you, like you said, you know, Ron is a different beast, and and like you said, he felt, you know, all respect to William Shakespeare, but he felt that it wasn't as good as it possible. The idea was better than the perhaps the execution or the writing of it. And if he played around with something, combined characters, excised plots, and things, maybe he could make it better. And I, I, so I think, I think, I think I could make Macbeth like if you. I think it's 
purely a, a setting change more so than anything else. I think it's gone, okay, this, but Japanese samurai. So it, I could do the same thing. I could go, you know, Macbeth, but set in the Viking age and do it about Vikings. I, yeah. I think I think it's almost as cut and dry as it can be with small, obviously small changes, still very good, still still excellent. But I think I think your point is excellent about Ron. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to Ron as well. You it's said did you, my leg <laughs> Yeah, it's it's tough, but yeah, I think I think Ron is the it works better though. Again, you know, there's it, it, like there's a lot of characters and stuff, and I think he's he's done the best he could with the story and with the length yeah. and and the arcs and is stuff. Uh, Throne of Blood does the the mysticism and the 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 horror really really well, and it doesn't need to say very much. Hmm. Um, you don't need to change very much in it because obviously Macbeth is really good in the mysticism and the horror as well. So yeah, yeah. it's yeah. Good, yeah. good. Next. Okay, so I'm, I'm glad we came to the decision fairly quickly on that one. <laughs> uh, so next up is acting. What had Which film had the better actors? Oh, again, um, oh, I really, really loved the performances in uh, Throne of Blood. Again, it's, it's just for the, that theatrical uh, performance. I think I'm swinging more to Throne of Blood on this um, purely because of that, because it is, you get to see the full, like the full decay of his, his mind, the paranoia. Um, you get to see obviously the Lady Macbeth aspect where, you know, she s- switches from quite demure figure to somebody who is in full control and is very capable of manipulating uh, her husband and everybody else around. Uh but again, uh, Lady Cardi in mm. oh, this is it. This is the, this is tricky. Lady Cardi in in Ran, brilliant. And that last that last sequence where she's just sat in that room and they all burst in. And yeah, I, I did this, and uh, I don't care. I got what I wanted to. I achieved what I wanted to achieve. Sucks to be all you. Ah, oh, it's difficult. It's a tough one. There is some great performance. Hideo Tora is great in Ran yeah. and Lady Cardi. I think are the stand really standout performances for me. Um, but I think I think it's because you spend the most time with them. Yeah. So, so you get to you get to savor that performance. You get to appreciate that performance. And like like Throne of Blood, you are spending more time with these characters so you get to see that degradation of of the mind yeah. and 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 them going through all that and so again it's it's kind of late it's kind of hideotora lady Cardo versus asaji and wishizu of yeah. it, that, <laughs> really, the, really it really is because they're both the same characters effectively uh within this arguably you the the film ran the film itself is longer but you're you're spending a lot of time with all the tertiary characters as well yeah 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 so I think just based on the focus and the kind of the tunnel vision of Throne of Blood, I'm going to give it to Throne of Blood, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I probably, yeah, I think I'd give it to Throne of Blood purely because of those moments when, um, like the banquet scene, um, you know, that performance is great. You know, they, they screaming at nothing. Everybody else has just sat around him. It's very, very powerful. It's very, very powerful performance in throne of blood mm. like 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 we said earlier when he's when he kills the guard it's all measured it's very much precise you know the essence of sort of like the samurai it's very much like you would see on a painting his performance mm. you know the the way the the, the way the way he looks when he 
you know, commits to the thrust to kill the guard. Very expressive, the whole thing. The whole all expressive. I mean, it's expressive in in um, in Ran as well, but here because obviously the saturation of the black and white and everything, it's it's. I think it's ramped up that little bit more. Him personally, yeah. Um, I think he's 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 so much into it. He is that character. He is that character. That shadow of a doubt. So yeah, I think I'm yeah. Throwing a blood. That little tiny bit. These are, these are all very, very close as well. These decisions are like, they're on like yeah. a knife's edge, a razor's edge to make these decisions because they are both just excellent. And I recommend people see both and make their own decision, you know, before or after this discussion. Um, right, next one, music. So this is a tricky one, I think. Um, they're, I mean, they're all tricky, but this is particularly tricky for me because of the lack of music in certain scenes and the lack of music, which we've already discussed. Um but for me, I think, I'll be honest, I'm struggling to recall the music from Throne of Blood. Um, yeah, I was going to say, it, it is very much more fluty and uh, wispy, isn't it? Yeah. Also, uh, interesting fact about Throne of Blood, the composer had a week to, to make the composition. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so give it, we'll, give him that. Right. we'll give him that. So, um, but I think, with like you were saying, with that big sequence um, with Hideotora coming down the steps, trying to kill himself, the whole battle at the third castle, yeah. you know, that was, you know, the music was perfect for that. It was booming. Um, mm-hmm. It was so effective. And again, I think there's more sequences in Ron where I remember the music, or at least, you know, can hear it, or I go, oh, okay, it was a little bit like this. Um Again, I'm still struggling to remember the music because it was so little throughout both films. Yeah, um, I mean... For me, it is that sequence where there is no sound effect. Mm. But that I will mark. I mean, if, if you're not going to watch the film, if, you, if, you, if you're questioning why you should watch the film, I'd, I'd say put yourself at that hour point mm. and then go back to the beginning and watch it right the way through because that hour point is where the music is at its peak for me. Yeah. Along with everything else going in the scene, I think it's, it's perfectly shot and it's perfectly designed I'm so glad they cut out sound effects and screaming and shouting and dialogue because the music is, is, is that's that's what I mean in terms of like the great epic. Mm. Don't need any sound effects. You know, these old Western films we, we've talked about before, like, um, you know, Once Upon a Time in the West, that film, there are long sequences in that film where it's just external wide shots, of the great American landscape and Ernie Morricone's soundtrack, nothing else. There's a good 10-minute sequence where Jill's going from the train station to the ranch at the beginning of the film where it's just music and landscape. Brilliant. That's all you need. That's all you need. If you've done it, if you've done your job with creating the the scene, creating the film, creating the atmosphere of the film, you don't need to say anything, which is my big criticism of modern films. Like I said, with Godzilla versus Kong, they say too much because they haven't fucking done the job in the film. Mm. All the fighting's great but they haven't done anything else in the film to warrant anything else happening. So with this film, it literally, the action is, is the action does its talking by virtue of no effects, just music and what's happening on screen. And the, the guy who did the music for this, he didn't actually think it was going to work. He tried to leave the film. Uh, Toru Takamitsu, he tried, he tried to leave the film. And um, basically the producers were like, no, you can't leave. We don't want you to leave. You need to come back and finish this. And basically went, fine, but I don't think it's going to work. But, you know, what do I know? It might turn out great. 
And for me, it did. It yeah. absolutely, absolutely does. I mean, there you go. There you go. This, this one for me is the the only surefire answer I can give you probably in this. The music in Ron is the better one. Yeah, I agree. So that's that's two points to Ron and one to Throne of Blood so far. Ooh. So we've got we've got two more categories. We have next is cinematography. So these are two very very beautiful films. One in color, one in black and white. Uh, again, one had a better budget and the other had a lesser budget. Um, but which do you think looks better? Well, just going off Throne of Blood. Obviously, it was it was filmed in in the early fifties, uh, late fifties rather. Sorry, beg your pardon. And just because it's black and white doesn't mean the cinematography isn't great. Because no. the cinematography is fucking great, like we like we said about that sequence with the with the the spirit in the woods, where they do that wonderful shot where it, they follow it, they follow the follow them through, and then they turn back and the cottage has vanished, you know, and the camera hasn't it didn't, the shots continued running. Brilliant, brilliant design, brilliant setup, and that's what cinematography is. It's, it's creating the scene effectively. And obviously that's a very theatrical thing. You see that in theatre all the time where you know, the set moves and you, you don't even notice it. Even though you are in the theatre and you can see guys moving it, you don't notice it because they created the scene perfectly around it. And that's what happens here. And there are some wonderful shots, like the courtyard shots in uh, Throne of Blood. Like I said, the banquet scene, which is perfectly staged to be just off the shoulder of individuals or to be like to show like the length of the room. But just in terms of... Again, the sprawling epicness of Ran. Some of those shots of the rolling hills, especially at the beginning of the film, where they're having, you know, they're in that sort of like staging area where they've, they've created like where all the suns are going to come and all that. They do the hunt and everything. Mm. And the coloring, the coloring against that backdrop, all the primary colors, like we said before, it just, it, everything pops. Everything pops when you see it. It all looks beautiful. And I think for me, purely because of that, purely because of the coloration and how well it works with every single established shot, I think I think Ron just takes it. I think you're you're correct. They're both both are beautiful, no matter how how much they were funded or not. They're both gorgeous. Um, funding doesn't really mean anything. Like no. for me, for me, the first Evil Dead film is a brilliant film it's a masterpiece that had no friggin money to the point where they essentially remade it with evil dead 2 mm. as like a pseudo sequel like kind of remake mm. money doesn't mean anything if you know what you're doing you're doing so in that in that film there's some wonderful shots you know the, the shots of the on the ground and everything yeah they, they had it on a plank they had their camera yeah, on a plank that's and... brilliant, brilliant cinematography because they're, they're creating they're figuring out how to make that shot and obviously we're throwing the blood you know it's figured out how to make certain shots work in the limited budget, in the limited frames that he had. Yeah, it's a, it's a hard one. It is, it is difficult. I'm actually wondering um, myself now. Because, <laughs> like, Throne of Blood is, like, we get the... the fo- I love the fog. I love the dark forest. Yeah. I love I love the castles. Again, they're not as grand or as epic as the castles in, in Ran, but it's still good. Um, yeah. you know, the, that theatrical element that works well with the filmmaking... Yeah, this whole theatrical element. The, the black, the black and white is really effective in in. I think I, you know, there's there was only that one scene with the the blood in the on the bloodstained room that I wanted in color. That the rest of it was fine as it was. Um, yeah, it's it the the atmosphere, the eeriness, the disconcerting element. The yeah, it's. But we do spend a lot of time inside the castles. Yeah, so, so it's mostly just kind of white and black walls. Um, as good as the shots on the outside are, 
Yeah, I have to agree with you. I think I, I think I've got to give it to Ron. Just for like you said, sweeping epic. The the colours are like you said, pop every moment, constantly popping, amazing. Um, yeah, I've I've got to give it to Ron. I think. Um, it's that it's that, that shot. It's that courtyard shot in Ron where basically we're outside the gate, so we're looking in at the gate, and those the two armies are split on either side. You have got the castle burning in the background, and you can see the full height of the castle. Nothing's cut out. You got the full height of the castle. You have got all this length of the courtyard, and he's coming towards you so slowly, and then he just peels off to the to the left of the screen and leaves. And you still get everything there. Like the, it's that that that's that's the shot. That's the moneymaker shot for me. I think in terms of the cinematography, it's like literally just went camera here, sit it here, get all that, focus in on every single bit of color because you've got the black earth, mm. and you've got all the color of the armor, and you've got the burning in the background and that that thick black smoke that's rising from behind it as well. It's just it's 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 a brilliant shot, brilliant shot, and you've got him just all in white. You know, like a like a, a ghoul. He just becomes a mm. ghoul essentially, doesn't he? And then he, yeah. he just roams away. It's 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 brilliant. The color the coloring works. Sorry, but the cinematography works because of the coloring. I think I think it's it just it just makes everything seem mystical, mythical. Yeah. And he like it's almost like you said, he's almost like he's a dead man, isn't he? He's di- he's effectively died. That's why that's why he's so ethereal and so ghost-like is because his, yeah. his life his life is over. He's gone mad because he can't kill himself. So he's, he's effectively a living dead man, uh, if, if you will. But yeah, I, I agree. So that's uh, that's why, yeah, Ron, Ron it is. So that's that's uh, is that three to Ron, one to? Yeah, 3-1. Okay, so uh, let's go on to the last one, Direction. Uh, obviously, he's the same director, um, but... Obviously, his eyesight was a bit better back in '57 mm-hmm. and not in '85. Um, so, what what do you think had the better direction? Oh, I mean, again, uh, it's like it's like picking picking your two favorite kids. Yeah, I mean, I, I think yeah, I think that analogy is pretty much pretty much sums it up there. I think, but much like Hideo Tora. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, it's difficult because. Every single moment in Throne of Blood is directed perfectly towards the performers. Um, obviously, because the setting isn't really all that extravagant, there's nothing really that gives away any. Ex- you know, all the externals are covered by by fog or you know, you know, trees and things like that. So there's not really much to give away in terms of like the external shots. And obviously, Ran is the complete opposite of that. It is so wide open and very much like a, a western. In that regard, it's all about the externals. Oh, it's difficult. It's difficult. I am leaning more towards Throne of Blood because it is tighter, it's compacter, and it's gifted more towards the actors in that regard. You know, the other, like I said, the yeah, other it's, is that it's Ron is kind of more the more the kind of the visuals and the outside and the yeah. the the showing off of Japan and Mount Fuji and wherever they filmed. Um, but yeah, like you said, they, 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 film, they film Throne of Blood on Mount Fuji as well. But there's an, you, you don't you, you wouldn't you wouldn't get that without knowing if you like. Um, oh, it's difficult. Mm. Um, I, just because, like you said, of the focus and the compactness, and again, talking about all these kind of tertiary characters, all these kind of lots of plots and stuff going on. I like the focus and the intention and the 
again, it goes along with what we said about the acting. I think for me, they they put the perfect kind of pin in it, and you're you're you are hooked. You are hooked to the story. Again, it's a, a much smaller scale, but you are absolutely hooked in the performances, in the tension, in the drama, of the ambition, of the plot. You know all that sort of stuff. Um, I'm I'm going to get. It doesn't really matter, but I'm going to give it to Throne of Blood. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, whichever way we went here, it, it doesn't really yeah. affect either or. But yeah, I think I'd, uh, I'd I'd go with Throne of Blood as well, purely because of the like the dedication towards the acting. I think right. it's, it's all it's all about the acting in that film. It's all about the acting, all about the performance, and crafting something around those performances. Yeah, I, I totally, totally agree. And I, I think, you know, let, let's think about it, like, health-wise, he was in his prime. Like, he was in his youth. He was in his prime when he directed this. Top of his game. Um, and I, I think that shows. Again, there's nothing wrong with Ron. Ron is fantastic. It's well, well-directed as well. Um, but I think if you're looking for, like, focused, intense acting and storytelling and getting your point across and getting the characters across, the Throne of Blood is better in that regard. However, we have a winner. <laughs> we have a winner, and they've run away with the competition. <laughs> Horrendous. <laughs> because Ran or Ran has, has won this cl- particular Clone Balls on the first episode of Samurai Month. What an epic discussion this was, much like Ran itself. Um, It's been excellent, Andy. Thank you very much for this lengthy, lengthy podcast. It's been my pleasure as always, sir. Um, So, Andy, you have an excellent YouTube channel, um, Angry Andy Reviews. Um, Everybody should go and check that out on YouTube. And where are you on the social medias? Where can they find Um, you? Well, I I recently um, got Instagram as well. I'm doing a... So alongside of my YouTube channel, I, I do uh, obviously movie reviews and I do uh, collectible unboxings as well, uh, for mainly for Star Wars related toys and products. So I've just got uh, Instagram on there to do some toy photography. So you can find me on Instagram at angry underscore Andy 1138. Um, obviously, I'm on Twitter at uh, Andy underscore reviews. I think is right. I can't even remember my own handles at the minute, which is always good fun. All right. I will uh, I will yeah. tag them. I'll tag them. You'll yeah. be tagged in them. Don't you worry. I'll so, yeah. Uh, Andy underscore review on Twitter and obviously the the main the main forum, the YouTube channel, uh, Angry Andy Reviews. Um yeah, that's where everything's going. It's going all right. It's going all right. Um it's going it's going fantastically well. I enjoy yeah. I enjoyed your gorilla gorilla versus lizard. <laughs> That one. Um, you know. <laughs> Gorilla versus Lizard. Gorilla versus Lizard. Go. That'll uh, be a B movie that's released later this year, won't it? Gorilla yeah. versus Lizard. From Asylum or something. Roger Corman will have something to do with it, I'm sure. He just had his 95th birthday, I think, recently. <laughs> So I'm sure he'll, he'll he's a he's the man who likes doing stuff on the cheap, which I appreciate. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, um, well for me, it's uh, at Secret Balls on Facebook. It's at Dan underscore Balls on Twitter. Uh, Instagram, it's Spider-Dan Secret Balls. And don't forget to use the hashtag prepare for prattle when you interact with me. Um, for everything else you need to know about the podcast, swing over 
to spiderdan and thesecretballs.com on the World Wide Web to email me, read reviews, and learn how you can support the podcast. I've currently moved my podcast very recently from Podbean uh, over to Anchor. Um, so hopefully that's all gone very smoothly uh, at this point, hopefully, when this is released. And there's <laughs> maybe any, any further problems with RSS feeds and any other that bollocks. Um, but yeah, that's... <laughs> It's all done now, so it's done and dusted. I'm saving myself some money and putting it towards a, another thing, but it's all good. It's all good stuff. So I am safe. I've also got them backed up if anything goes wrong. So so we're yeah. All good. I mean, I've started doing that as well after uh, a, a couple of near uh, misses. <laughs> yeah, near misses. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I, I recommend. That's kind. That's what kind of inspired me to do it because I think you told me about another story similar, and then that yeah. happened to you, and I was like, right. I'm back yeah, I, I accidentally, I, I've got this weird, horrible tendency where I, I, instead of just deleting stuff to go into the recycle bin, I find the recycle bin redundant. So usually when I'm done with something, I'm actually done with it completely. Mm. But in this instance, I like I, I multiply selected things and then accidentally selected something in that that I didn't mean to delete and I shift deleted and it was gone completely. Oh, God. Gone completely. And I was, so was, I was, it, was it your own... Was it the Ewok? Was the Ewok? Yeah, it was the Ewok film. Oh. I'd literally just edited it completely. Uh, it take it taken me a good couple of hours, and I was destroyed, absolutely destroyed. I watched it go as well. I shift, uh, click, shift, delete, and it was the last one to disappear off the screen. I went, oh no! <laughs> oh so, yeah. dear. Well, I still shift delete, but I, I make make multiple copies. And yeah, then just in case. Put one in. So I've got, I've got two hard drives on my computer. So. Luckily, I've got uh, got them on both space there, but Jesus, yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. So uh, <laughs> back your shit up, people. That's the lesson yeah. we've all that's learned. The, that's the message of the podcast. Back <laughs> your files up, boys and girls. Back your back your files up and go watch some Akira Kurosawa, whichever the film may be. Any of his films that we've mentioned, or you know, Rashomon or Hidden Fortress. You know, um, huge inspirations on things like Star Wars and westerns and all that. Your Jimbo. We, we didn't even talk about that no. ever. Is, which is it just shows you how how deep these films are you can literally talk for hours about them i mean we probably should but <laughs> yeah. well we could, always, we could always come back to if people are interested we can do more we could do some more of these we can compare a couple more or um whatever you fancy but i'm sure i've got i've got an idea for maybe including your jimbo maybe comparing that with something else potentially yeah um, i mean that's the other big one isn't it other than seven samurai uh yeah yeah maybe do something with that in the future but we'll see we'll see but um before i go i just want to uh speak about um supporting the podcast and all the excellent people on patreon that are doing it at the moment so we've got i am jack's musings paul meller max Byrne, tony farina and scott hodgson um love all the all the interactions we have um i'm attempting to get everybody on the podcast at least once this year um so you all get your own episode um but thank you so much for giving as much as you can i understand it's difficult difficult times um but i do appreciate it and i'm also gonna again i'm gonna try to be a bit better on patreon because i often am not doing that much on it so i'm looking to do youtube videos that are unlisted so that only you guys will have access to them so i'm hoping uh, once i get past all my computer issues um that maybe i can do some of those and i think they'll be fun and enjoyable for you guys so that is it um 
I hope you've enjoyed the first installment of Samurai Month. It has been a lot of fun getting to really deep, deep dive into two excellent films for once and not two awful ones. Uh, <laughs> so so that, that, that's a nice change of pace. Um, but yeah. Until I, next time. <laughs> <laughs> until next time. <laughs> bye bye.